Welcome to Chronic Curiosity, where we have real conversations with real people, from everything to anything, in attempts to facilitate dialogue with our fellow humans, and hopefully your curiosity as well as ours. If you can withstand the show, we ask, most importantly, that you tell your friends and family, but also, you can pick up some merch, or just donate to the show at chronic-curiosity.com in USD or Bitcoin. If you feel so obliged, you can give us a good rating and follow on whatever podcast platform you so choose. But please feel free to reach out to us on the website or the socials, which can also be found on the website, chronic-curiosity.com. And here we go. Right. We can avoid that, which is awesome. Yeah, it seems like you've been um I uh just randomly I don't even know why, but I did a a quick maybe it was to find the episodes that you've been on to find a mm. quick um reference to mm-hmm. where you you know, the episodes you were at, and then I searched you on uh Spotify and it was just that list has seems like it's gotten pretty big of yeah. the podcast that you've been on. It, I mean yesterday I had three interviews. Oh just wow. just with these podcasts. So it's like uh, I, luckily, two of them, there was like a misfire. So I'm getting to the point, man, where I'm not like keeping my notifications, like the notices and the time zones, because it's all over the world. I'm just like, I'm just like, oh, that was 9 a.m. I'm sorry, man. Like, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> it's just a bit much. But yeah, man, I'm doing all that. Uh, the cool stuff, I'm doing a lot of tick, not TikTok, I mean, TikTok and Instagram, I'm putting little short things. Right. I don't know if you check that out. It's cool. And it's like bite sized stuff, like, because I can go on for a long time. So getting me to condense it. Make right. it as clear as possible. That's where's where is that? Where I'm I mean, I'll probably I'll make sure to ask. Dude, you check it out. We start it, recording, but like, what's where's that at? Like, yep. So I yeah, don't think so you had an Jay, Instagram last time. Yeah, yeah. So Jason Sheftel's the Instagram, and then I like I think I had like just a basic private one, um, and then I was like, oh, I should probably. This is where people. I'm not on Instagram like <laughs> as a thing I do, but that's where everybody else is. So right. might as well do that. Yeah, so I'm gonna have like an interviews, uh, live streams, videos, all that kind of just a little reels for that but tiktok's actually where i'm having more fun i just kind of take what i do on tiktok and i put it on instagram that's kind of basically what i'm doing i'm just like there's a lot of that doing that that. yeah but it's it's cool man like i was on a two-week trip actually um i think it was actually i called i uh i think i texted you back or emailed you back right after i got back so it's like let's do it now because i just got back after the trip like let's go i was like so ready to go um no, but I was like doing kind of like uh, I was on the trip talking about different things in different areas and geography and why things matter. It was cool. It's kind of like an in the world, like my dorky version of vlogging, I guess you could say. Right. Uh, and no, it's fun. I'm going to do a lot more of that. Like I'm going surf. I went surfing yesterday and I was like, oh, I could talk about I mean, this is really lame. It's like I could talk about the, the currents and the population centers, all this kind of stuff. Like I just didn't have my phone on me, but I'm going to be doing this stuff now like a lot. It's cool. It's like you learn something and it's short and yeah, it's better than like sometimes me mouthing. I mean, you you you're into it and like, but some people just have the attention spans of like people have like the attention spans of like gnats, man. Yeah, it's it is. Insane. That's why I I just posted a video the other day and because I Instagram is for whatever reason like Instagram I I really I enjoy the the platform of it more than okay. say like Twitter or I don't know. Maybe, mm-hmm. Well, I want to get into that too. Yeah, but, we'll uh, see. Yeah, um, but like Facebook just doesn't like it just doesn't flow. Well, for me, yeah, I don't so do like, it. I like the Instagram thing, but, um, I, I've been told like, Hey, you know, you got You got to do reels, which is basically like mm. Instagram, uh, tw- or, uh, TikTok. you know, mm-hmm. it's like, man, like, uh, I just have such a hard time, like doing the algorithm thing. 
you know, and mm. really trying to push myself to like, you know, fit all those little puzzle pieces of the social media world. And it's like, I get it, but. Oh, I definitely, <laughs> I definitely get it. I avoided it. I still don't do a lot of it, but I was just on this trip and I went on a trip in uh, November and all my friends were like, where are the pictures? We didn't get to see anything. And I was like, okay, but I hate like taking pictures of just myself somewhere. So I was like, all right, I'm going to just do a video where I talk about the stuff I already talk about in an environment that kind of showcases it. Right. And so I enjoy it. So they're all real. So they're all like TikToks. I just put them as reels. So now I'm into it because it's like, it's not like targeted in any way, man. I haven't looked at, there's no algorithm tweaking there. Yeah. I'm just like saying the thing that comes to mind in the spot. Uh, well, I'll have to, anyway, I'll have to make sure to find yeah. something there. Yeah. I just did the first one where people are actually noticing. I was like, oh shit. It's like everyone's starting like, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know anything about China. Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, all right, guys. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's <laughs> an expert, right? Yeah. Everybody's an expert. Um, it's crazy now more than ever, really when the shit hits the fan, Russia invades, everybody is an expert. Have you heard of, um, the Dunning Kruger effect? I think you heard about that. It's one of those. It sounds like, I mean, it sounds like I've heard it before, but I don't, I couldn't describe it. Yeah. It's like one of those million, uh, like cognitive things. They talk about how we do all these things wrong all the time. This one's really funny. I thought it was really good. Someone was talking about it with the geopolitics. They're like, uh, Dunning-Kruger basically means that the people who really know things, they're often like qualifying it and they're like, they they say what they don't know and they're like, they don't like just mouth off. The people who don't know anything don't know what they don't know and they talk all the time and they like pretend like they know. So basically like the people who really know things aren't saying it as much right. and the people who, do, who don't know anything are often talking insanely, um, like with, with extreme confidence. You know what I mean? They're right. like, I... Versus the guys who know a lot, they're like, well, I'm not quite sure. And there's a, a range of probability. It's just funny. I just seeing a lot of that with uh, the COVID. I mean, not the COVID. The, uh, well, that that too. That too. Yeah, with everything, right? Everything. Yeah, that was um, that, that was epiphany I had. Uh, oh, it was a handful of years back when I realized like how much I don't know. And it was like, yeah. oh, like I'm a complete <laughs> idiot. And I just never knew it. Like, Okay, like let's see where this takes me, right? I mean, that's just like that's like the start of knowledge, man. I mean, I, I still remember when I was first trying to get a handle on basically China. I was like, I don't know anything. Like, I don't know anything about like anything. And it just, it, I mean, just starting there, you eventually you learn because people who don't want to accept maybe I don't know anything, they get really stuck not knowing anything. Yeah, it can be it can be a scary spot, right? Yeah, it is. It can be really scary. Um. I don't know. I, I, we could just keep all of that in if you want to. I didn't like, right, we can start whenever. Start. Yeah. We can start whenever. <laughs> it doesn't um, matter to me. Um, yeah. I would, let's just start now. Let's, uh, let's do it. All right. Um, well, or whatever you want. Like, yeah, he, seriously. I, he, <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, he, I, I'll, I'll leave some of it in. Some of that was good. Okay. Um, okay. but uh, this was, so this is your third time. Jason. Seffel. Third time. No, I appreciate you, uh, coming back on. I remember the, uh, was it after the second time? Was it like two weeks later? I was like, son of a bitch. Like we had you on like two weeks too early. Cause I think that was when the, uh, the whole Evergrande corporation thing mm -hmm. was happening with China. And then since then the wheels have just completely fallen off of the world. Uh, so it'll be, I'm really excited. Um, but I will say this kind of capturing all of that. Um, you know, I, I feel like you do a, a really good job of, making complex things, at least to 
the the United States society and people that are if they're curious curious, um, you make them you kind of break them down to at least helps me understand at least personally helps me understand the the helps me understand the complexity of it. You know, it makes me I realize that I I have no idea what I don't know, um, but it helps kind of filter through some of those things. So um, anybody that hasn't listened to was that episode forty six and fifty two with you, I would suggest starting from the beginning and going through all that. Cause it, it, it will help you understand, um, I guess the basis of some of the, th- you know, things I'm sure we'll get into. Um, so I'm really excited, but we know we've talked about China, you know, some of its history, uh, particularly tied in with geopolitics, um, all those things. And you mentioned, uh, you know, when we first got on, um, about deglobalization that you mentioned. And that was the first time, honestly, like, cause I'm just the last two years, like, like I said, I I've realized I'm like, Oh, I don't know anything. And at, you know, my mid early mid thirties, I'm like, Oh my gosh, there's all these things that like, I just don't know about. And there's just so much history and depth and interconnectivity throughout the world that just is mind blowing. Um, but the second episode we did was called deglobalization because you really, you really hit on that. And, you know, I remember you talking about that and thinking like, Oh, what are you trying to, trying to comprehend everything that you were saying? And then months later, it just starts happening. <laughs> um, but I guess, you know, you, you for sure called it and it's happening. I guess how much did you expect uh, maybe the the acceleration of the degradation that we've seen since we've had that conversation? Like, it seems like you were like, oh, you know, thinking like I received this, like, oh, in the next couple of years, we're going to see this thing kind of start to happen. And now it's just like, boom, like and I start, I'm starting to see like headlines of main outlets saying like you deglobalization. What does this mean? I'm like, well, they should talk to Jason because I talked to him a while ago and he knows what's going on. So like, did you, did you like really expect it to be obviously the whole Ukraine and Russia thing? We I'm sure we can talk about, uh, which threw a giant wrench and everything, but did you really expect it to happen like this quickly? Is this kind of what you foresaw or was it like, maybe not quite as quick? I mean, to be honest, it was something where I thought it would happen quicker than I was saying. But when I, if I really got into the the speed, it would be really bleak and depressing, right? It's something like you can give people a bit of forewarning, but if you just start saying, dude, it's all over, things about to start uh, crashing, it's just too much. And people often just kind of push it away if you say how, how bad things get. But the way it does work is that once it starts, it accelerates because these things feed on each other. And that's kind of the way it happened. I mean, kind of, and the way it worked is basically we were all waiting for, <laughs> basically, where is the shoe going to fall, right? right? And there's three main places. It was either going to be, um, you know, Western Europe, between somewhere between uh, Germany and, and Russia, or the Middle East, or it's going to be East Asia. I mean, these are the places where you've had big major conflicts for the last, what, 150 years that it's been, these are the major areas on all around Eurasia where this can happen. You know, energy in the in the Middle East, it'd be all sorts of things in East Asia. And then the classic rodeo we see in Eastern Europe, you know, again and again happening. Right. And this was this was it. And I mean, based on the sort of Russia's invasion of, of Georgia and Crimea, I mean, that was probably the most likely one. But, 
I mean, they didn't do it in 2015. They didn't do it in 2016. They didn't do it in 2017. So they had to do it sometime. Uh, I think I think a really great way to to frame just so you think that oh. it was like it was imminent, like this was going to oh, yeah. happen. Hundred percent. Yeah. So the I guess we've we've only really talked about uh, China particularly, and primarily the place I focused on is is China. But to really understand sort of the modern world, uh, Russia has been a huge player in the way things have happened, and also historically, Russia has been basically China's greatest enemy <laughs> for most of the time. Back when it was a bunch of horde tribes, like they hadn't kind of all unified. Like all the way up until the basically the 18, 7, 18, 1800, that was like the big bad was just like, oh, God, what were the steppe tribes going to do? They're going to ruin us, blah, blah, blah. So the unification of Russia is really important. The challenge for Russia has always been just as a country, it is very weak. It has really bad land and it is extremely vulnerable. There's basically nine regions in Russia, nine uh, parts of nine bordering area, areas uh, on the edge of Russia that it needs to secure to actually be a sort of stable state. And when it was the Soviet Union, it had control over all of these uh, border zones. So that's like the Altai Gap. That's the Bessarabian Gap. There's like, if I had a map, I could kind of point out all these regions all around this place in the Caspian Sea. There's near Crimea. There's near Warsaw and Poland. There's the Baltic states. There's all these places that you need to be if you're Russia because you you don't have any strategic depth, right? So the, the Napoleon just rolled on through all the way almost to Moscow, right? I'll install. I mean, Hitler tried to do the exact same thing. It's an extremely weak and, and vulnerable country. It's a weird thing to say because it's so big, it looks so powerful. But that's kind of the way it worked. So they had to move. Uh, they did have to try and do this. So Putin's always seemed like everyone's trying to present him as like a really crazy guy. Like he's just, he's got a weird thyroid problem. He's got all these things. And, you know, there's probably all sorts of truth to, to, to all that. But Russia is really kind of at the end of the, the line here. It needed to do something. It needs to basically secure itself uh, as as a basically as, as any sort of a functional state. So the United States, we've talked about this before, the United States is ridiculously secure. It's on the other side of the world. It's got Mexico and Canada and a bunch of oceans. We don't think this way. But Russia has been invaded, what, over 50 times. And it has been invaded by a major state every time of the last century. And that's really stuck with them. And World War II, Hitler, all of that, that's the great patriotic war. That's the major sacrifice to stabilize and control Russia. All that is a huge part of Russian psychology. And they, they need to do this. And then there's two parts to it, right? There's this geographic part where if you want to be, you're basically Russia, you're poor, you don't have great rivers, you don't have natural economically dynamic zones, you don't have a lot of cultural integration, you have a lot of ethnic minorities all around the place that haven't been integrated. And then to actually you know, expand out, you have to be an empire, you have to expand out to control all these uh, gaps I'm talking about. But those gaps, they're in other countries, right? They're in other countries that are now uh, not part of the Soviet, uh, the Soviet Union now, Russia, and the population of all of those countries around Russia that it needs to control to try and stabilize itself the way I'm talking about, it's larger than the population of Russia. So this whole thing was a fool's gambit, but they're kind of stuck. And the reason they're stuck is because they have to move now. So you have geography that says you're insecure. You could be invaded and crushed. You could snip a little, uh, a couple railroad lines and road lines in the middle of Siberia, cut Russia in half. They wouldn't be able to secure the other part of it. You could do similar things with uh, pipelines, all this stuff. is huge, huge uh, vulnerabilities everywhere. The problem is that it's demography, right? So you have the geography that says you need to be bigger. You have demography saying you need to be bigger now because Russia is running out of people. This is part of the story I don't think we've talked about before, that the entire world is aging. And this is one of the basically biggest – this is probably the biggest change in the structure of the global economy in the last 100 years is what's happening this decade. Mm. And Russia 
has one of the worst demography. Russia and China are basically competing <laughs> to see who has the worst demography in the world. <laughs> so before before you get into that real quick, I, I kind of wanted to break that down. Um, so and you can kind of correct me if I'm wrong, but it's we we've like you said, you mentioned before where we have this insulated view of the entire world, you know, in you know, the US um, for plenty of reasons and about plenty of things. Um, but one thing that this that I gleaned from you before was that like people think of China as this, you know, this big giant of a power. Um, but they have yeah, they have a bunch of people, they have a bunch of land, um, they are, you know, a world power, but also with that, the land that they, you know, inhabit is isn't the greatest to try to uh, sustain all of these people. You know, a lot of the land is just not useful at all whatsoever. Um, Definitely. So then, you know, and like you talked about the countries all around them. So like we, we forget that like we have all we have is Canada, Mexico and two giant oceans. So strategically or at least militarily, I don't know if that's a word, um, you know, it's it's pretty safe. But then we also have this, you know, vast uh, country that has all of these fantastic, you know, properties as far as waterways and soil conditions. And, you know, we're right in this perfect zone for all this agriculture and all these things that, um, you know, China doesn't have. And if China doesn't have them, like Russia, for sure doesn't, because <laughs> it's even further north. Like, I don't know yeah. what those like. So and Russia is even bigger. And like, so they have more area to try to protect. And so it's it's yeah, it's interesting when, like, when we forget about, you know, that that view. And not only that, but like, all of the the countries to you know the the west and south of China and Russia, like they hold all these different types of people, all these different cultures and you know languages and countries and everyone's you know that's I, the fascinating thing. It's like everyone's been fighting over there for land and food and power forever, basically. So like, I think it's, it's a good thing to kind of kind of keep in mind for anybody that hasn't really like thought about those things that. There's a lot going on over there that we don't really we can't necessarily connect with, I guess. So you say that you think the age of the population, because I've heard, you know, people talk about, um, you know, the like growth or growth rates, the birth rates and all these things are slowing and how this is a concern for different pe places. And so you so you're saying that that's like a, a huge piece of this puzzle. Yeah, it's a big piece of the puzzle, but I want to just connect a bit with what you were saying, connecting yeah, Russia to yeah. China there, because that's that's really big, and, and you really nailed it. So I, I probably said in the last episode that there's not one China, there's there's many Chinas, and when China breaks up, it coughs up a bunch of other places. Well, look what happened to the Soviet Union. It coughed up Kazakhstan, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, right? All these stands. You know, Russia has a few more stands. <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna cough up eventually when things uh, finally play out, and so that's really important because you nailed it right i mean china has uh like compare i was comparing it to the united states it's very you know bad land all these problems we've talked about that russia's far worse far far worse than than china yeah it and seems like they're always wearing like hats and giant like, like is there everything. any nice weather and, and it's i mean it's it's really bad their, their best land is marginal at best right and it's just it's vulnerable i think a great way to think about how places like china and russia think like think about back when the united states was still a frontier country and you had you know fierce indian tribe like uh, native american tribes imagine them as actually being fierce and not like having weapons and they're intimidating and you were still trying to take land and, and deal with other people places like russia and china are still in that mode 
They're not just like, oh, we solved that 120 years ago. That's the United States position. Oh, yeah, like we had like wars like that in the 19th century. Right. It's very different. Russia is a new – this Russian Federation, brand new, formed in the 1990s. And it is brutal. It went through a brutal uh, ethnic uh, you know, war trying to pacify Chechnya twice in the 1990s. Its campaigns looked exactly like what we're seeing now. It was like firebomb the cities. Uh, get have you know mass casualties have as many refugees as possible stuff them into Europe uh, lower the entire population of the country by destroying the infrastructure and anybody who remains you just assume that they are uh, co- you know enemy combatants and you kill them right that, that's more the Russian way of war the air force is a flying artillery there's the artillery is really mean and a huge part of the military and that's the doctrine right it's a a mass I mean this is a country so let's let's now get to what you're talking about where what I mentioned is demography, right? You got geography and you got demography. Demography is huge. So the three things to keep in mind about populations are basically the population uh, density, the population um, population density, and then basically the population structure, right? So obviously you have the, the number of people, but it's really like how many people. It's not just like how many people does a country have. It is where are, where are those people located, and then. You know, how many old people do you have? How many young people do you have? Are you growing? Are you shrinking? All that kind of stuff. That's the the really key stuff. And yeah, everyone sees the, the headlines. Fertility is dropping. Nobody's having children. It's all done. Um, and that's a, a really important thing. But we've just, if you just listen to the news, it's just kind of been talking about this for like 15 years. Like, all right, there's less and less children. Like, so what? So, so what? They never tell you. Like, there's these right. big articles. They're very doomsday. And then they're like, and eh, like, Tell me what this means, but they never do it. So here's here's what it is. The the basic way it works is that before industrialization, before we could control reproduction and biology, primarily through contraception, birth control, stuff like that, the human population had a basic a similar a basic structure. You had a you know a lot of babies, a uh, bit less uh, you know youth uh, adults. Then you had you basically had you know you had not that many old people more mature workers, even more youth and sort of uh, mid-age people, and then you had even more babies, right? You had people who were just dying. It was a sort of natural thing where you had a lot of birth because people were having kids in their, you know, teens and 20s. Right. It's and like then the animal kingdom. It's just like, yeah. The game of numbers. <laughs> the more yeah, you have, the more and, they survive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the, what happened is that industrialization really changed all this. And it really changed in the, in the 20th century. Like in the, in the 19th century, they were always talking about, oh, my God, like a, a Dickens. I, I don't recommend. I've never actually read a Dickens book. But I don't recommend. It sounds terrible. But a lot of it is like just all these horrible uh, urban squalor in the 19th century because what was happening is you had a huge growth of, of agriculture. And it was pumping out massive efficiencies. You didn't need as many people on the farm, so you're having more people. You didn't need as many in the fields, so they started flooding into cities. And the cities were not capable of handling them, and you got terrible diseases, terrible stuff, all that kind of – you just had so many people. Nobody, People literally thought we were going to not be able to handle anything because there was just too many people. And you still hear that sometimes in the you know, in the um, middle, mid to late 20th century. There's all this fear of like a population bomb, and there's going to be too many people on Earth and blah, blah, blah. There's a huge fear of that kind of stuff for a long time. But a major shift happened in the end of the 20th century. Every single major advanced country in the world stopped having children. And what happens is that now the, the whole uh, population pyramid, which is, is, says like how many people you have of, of every age, right? right? How many old people do you have? How many young? They're all inverting. So we're all moving into a place where you have more old people than you have mature workers, than you have you know youths, than you have babies. And so what you're actually doing is th- these are terminal drugs. 
demographies. These are countries where the actual population, the uh, let's say Russians, for example, they cannot reproduce themselves. There's now literally too few, in particular, wombs that are able to have children to even maintain your numbers. So you end up like Japan. And Japan is, by the way, Japan is the best case scenario. We've all talked about Japan as this crazy outlier. Like right. they, They're handling it. And they're staying old and they're staying healthy and all this. Most countries, are not, they're not going to get close to being what Japan had. And even though Japan is being seen to us as like a place that's just missed opportunities, lost decades, we are all, every country on earth is basically heading off the cliff in terms of demography, except for the United States and maybe four or five others. And it's I guess hard to do. I, I, I don't, maybe we can touch on this. I can let you keep going, but maybe we can come back to this as, I guess, another concern with that would be the, the health of the citizens in the United States that we've seen that like the, you know, the, the life expectancy and those things seem to like they've dropped for what the last two years and not surprisingly considering our, you know, our health habits here, but you can maybe continue, but that might, that was just kind of a thought that was like, man, is this something that's coming for us too? you know, much quicker than we expect and those implications. Yeah, definitely. I so I mean, one reason I was uh, I was far more supportive of the idea of COVID vaccines and all this stuff is because maintaining the health of your population in this like literally the human species dying out type situation. That's really what we're talking about. Um, it is. I mean, it, it, actually, Elon Musk has recently gotten into this thing. He's been saying all over the place one of the greatest threats to civilization is like basically depopulation. We're basically right. going to die with a whimper. And yeah. it's true. If you just take like how many babies you had this year and you multiply it by the average uh, life expectancy. Right. So basically, you know, you take, you know, imagine you had the same number all the way. And that's a good option. The numbers are horrible. They're way worse than all the, the projections using fancy stuff and all these statistical agencies. So it's much worse than even we're really talking about. And a place like China, it's horrifically worse. And just briefly, I'll give the, the situation in Russia so I can tie it back to explain why Russia need to move now. This is really important yeah, for people to understand. I want to touch on that is why, why not, why they had to. Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll definitely talk about our population and our health habits and all this stuff because it's really important. And also, really, how do you the, the recent thing that makes the United States different? So, well, I'll just say briefly the uh, so population. So, how does the population grow? Well, it grows through basically people living longer. So there's less people dying. There's the death rate. Then there's the birth rate, and then there's also the net migration rate. How many people coming in? How many people coming out? That's a huge thing. I mean, so this is why in the 2020s, 2030s, the battles over immigration are going to stay, but they're going to shift because we're going to need a lot more workers and it's going to be all sorts of workers. And we're actually one of the only countries for various reasons, being an immigrant country, you know, all this kind of stuff. It we're, we're very open to people all around the world. And that's actually a huge way where we can basically another way to think about it is the United States is going to lap up and steal all of the best people and all of the, the talent and all of the workers from the rest of the world. So that's one thing that's probably going to happen, which is like, oh, good, another benefit for America. Meanwhile, chaos all around us. Right. But the yeah, the important thing for Russia, it is just it's been brutalized, man. The 20th century, right? We had World War One. We like send a bunch of we sent some people at the very end, like gave a big thumbs up to the British and the French. Walked out, basically nobody died. Like not, you know what I mean? It's, it wasn't compared to the other places, right. like horrific stuff. World War Two, we're again, we came late. But the country that really suffered in both of these wars, besides Germany, was Russia. Russia lost millions and millions of people. It got giant, like, scoops taken out of its demography, of its young people at that time. So World War One, 
than World War II. And then it had the, the delights of communism in the early years take out another chunk. Then you had the 1990s collapse and you had people both leaving the country and you had a, a, birth, a collapse in the birth rate as well. So Russia has just been brutalized. Like we don't think about this because we, we've been so growing so naturally. We have so much immigration. People don't immigrate to Russia, right? You start knocking off millions of people. You're actually, Russia's running. And the reason it needs to, to move quickly is Russia has all this land and the security costs, the amount of people, it does, it's running out of people to man its borders. That's what we're talking about here. It can't, Conscripts don't work anymore, uh, and it does. It can't maintain the sale. I mean, here's another really important stat: Russia, modern Russia, has a military inherited from the Soviet Union, which was trying to, you know, take out the United States, duke it out back in the day. Uh, it's trying to, but it's trying to fund that military with a budget that's the size of Britain's, right? right. So it can't maintain, like, it can, it could barely maintain any of its equipment, right? And just literally, just having soldiers is a huge problem. So basically what was going to happen in the 2020s now, quite literally, quite now, it's like right now, Russia was going to run out of the people it would need to even conduct major military operations. And the seriously, I mean, that's, that's where we're at. So that's and, the reason why they have to, in that thought process is we have to do this now. It's now or never. It's we now or never. Expand. So I guess too, at the, like, I, is there anybody that would like consider like invading Russia for the land or is it more so that they feel like that their, you know, individual populations in certain pockets want to revolt and kind of set, like break themselves off of Russia. Is that like, which like, cause I guess what's the concern of like who wants, you know, the tundras of this <laughs> Siberian desert or whatever it is, you know, like, you know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. No, the big question, whenever I talk about this, people are always like, yeah, that sounds great until, uh, why would anyone want to invade Russia? Who, who wants it? Yeah, they have these gaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But who's going to invade Russia? It's a very, it's a fair question. And the problem isn't, the, the truth is there's nobody, like you look around, you're like, well, nobody's going to invade Russia, but that's not how the Russians think, right? Uh, Hitler invaded Russia, Napoleon invaded Russia, Swedes invaded Russia, Tsars invaded Russia. I mean, sorry, uh, the, uh, the Sultans invaded Russia. It, it's it's really deeply embedded in their psychology. Another way to think about it is, it's, it's they. Uh, here's a good example: the United States is always doing all these weapons tests. We're, te we're testing nuclear weapons all the time. We're doing all this stuff. And if you're sort of a uh, or an, an average sort of liberal person in particular in the United States, will be like, "Why are we doing all this all the time? Who are we threatening? Who's going to nuke us? What's going on?" And it's like right. we're doing it because that's what the Russians in particular respond to. Mm. They they. We do all this testing because they do this kind of testing, and they see us doing this testing, and they nod, thinking, "Okay, they're 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 not messing around, right? This is how you have to engage with them. This is the language they understand. Well, That's so why we're just do publicly flexing just to keep the other keep the other guy going. Oh, okay, <laughs> basically, yeah. And and they're also they're very afraid that if they look weak, they'll just invite um, again both foreign people to come in, and it could be minor, right? It could be. One of the stands, it could be Uzbekistan taking over all sorts of stuff over there. It could be like, there's a lot of countries all around. It could be Sweden just saying, yeah, like, anyway, this is, this is all kind of farcical in our minds, but the, the, you're right. It's both things. They're worried that the, the mere, um, if they can't even appear strong, they feel like they're just going to be invaded. It's kind of deeply embedded in the psychology. Second one is yes. If they also, if they don't feel like they can maintain their current borders, they do feel like all sorts of separatist movements within the country will gain ground. And again, it's not crazy. Look at Chechnya. Basically what happened, Soviet, the Soviet Union collapsed. 
the Russian Federation was born in the 1990s, and then uh, Chechnya blew up into a firestorm right when, you know, they tried to break out, right. like all the other stands, right? They wanted to be a Chechnya stand. And they were like, no, you don't get to be Chechnya. And there's good reasons. I mean, th that's, another, that's one of those main areas. That, that Caucasus region is a place that Russia needs to plug. It needs to plug these gaps. Otherwise, you could just have – and it could be all sorts of things. You can – if you don't have control over these land borders, it doesn't have to be a, a military situation, but you could have – Chinese, for example, you could have all sorts of uh, Chinese, I, I don't want to say peasants, but you could have all sorts of Chinese workers that are you know, moved into the area. Suddenly you have an imbalance of your own population to a foreign population. You could have all sorts of smuggling routes. You could have uh, easy access for foreign intelligence agencies to start infiltrating and changing the perceptions, opinions of this group. They could all be trying to work against central authority. It gives, it opens your country up to being destabilized by other countries. And I guess so, to maybe and that's what they do. That's what they do. <laughs> well, that's what everyone does, right? They got yeah. to secure their, uh, their own stuff. Um, I guess maybe I didn't think about too. Like it's especially for a landmass in an area that big. I guess it wouldn't take much to you know find the choke points of whether yes. it be transportation or you know shipping and all these you know import export type things. If you own this choke point, then you don't have to control the entire chunk of you know the country. It's you know you own one little spot and you take a big chunk of the country with you because of that. I guess. I guess I that's it yeah 100 percent. again it comes back down to geography it looks so big but you can point out five or six points where it's like all right someone pokes that the whole thing crumbles a great example is world war ii you know hitler invaded russia and he, he got really ambitious he tried to like he tried to do like invade three areas at once but all he had to do is basically uh just aim directly at this uh Baku, which is basically it's part of Azerbaijan. It was the main oil fields that Russia used to, um, well, basically have all of its oil for all of its vehicles and particularly its military. Uh, that was what the Battle of Stalingrad was about. It was basically would Germ would Hitler be able to reach Baku and shut off the the tap for all Russian uh, military vehicles? If he had just put all of his forces to do that, he would have just knocked it out. Right? That would have been that would have been, that was it. That would have been the end of the war. Instead, he was like, I want Moscow and I want Saint Petersburg. I want everything all at once. Uh, and even a similar thing, 1991, Desert Storm. We, you know, we look back at Desert Storm, we're like, wow, we really, we really pounded that <laughs> small uh, like, Middle Eastern nation. But here, here's the thing. Uh, Saudi, uh, Saddam Hussein invades Kuwait. That was huge, destabilized everything. But the real threat was, well, what if he did the same to Saudi Arabia? So if Saddam had basically just, instead of stopping in Kuwait, if he had just kept on gunning it all the way to the Saudi Arabian oil fields and just stopped there, that's it. That's checkmate. There's nothing else. People, we wouldn't be able to do anything. Nobody would be able to do anything. So the reason we suddenly massed insane force there, it was for that. And we also put a major, uh, major carrier base there. We started stationing routine forces in the region in the 1990s, per, basically because we realized, oh my God, we are so vulnerable. Just because we, again, this is a, it was wasn't something based in North America. It wasn't there. It was a a choke point in another part of the globe. So we freaked out. I mean, and that's part of the reason conservative part of uh you know the defense establishment was so keen on, on going in again the idea that there's all these other choke points all this kind of stuff it's a real thing and you again you look at the, the bigger a country is the big the more powerful we assume it is but most of the time 99 percent of the time it goes the other way really don't does. have the the supplies and people to it's a mess usually it. it's just a mess <laughs> like <laughs> deep down it's a mess like you look like you look deep down you're like india like, is a good example india brazil these countries are absolute messes and I don't mean it's some sort of 
essential way like the Indians and the Brazilian people. I mean, no, like the political thing, the way they've tried to group these people together as one unit, it's a mess. Uh, and the, the ability to sustain that, maintain the standard of living, improve it, all this kind of stuff, it's a mess. And and Russia, of course, is a mess. Right. I wonder if I wonder how much of that is playing out now in real time in the United States. Because you realize like it's a big country. And at first, like everyone, you know, kind of has the same idea of, hey, we want to come here and, you know, start new and it's, you know, the land of opportunity, all these things. But, you know, we've, it's only been a couple hundred years. Eventually, maybe it, at some point, because I've heard some talk of you know, some some bigger people, you know, bigger names talking about like, how, we, we may just need to break this place up because it's just such a giant chunk of land that eventually once it's populated and people spread out and they kind of get into the little tribal zones that you just can't maintain the whole thing. Like how do you, like, how, how do you maintain something with all these people? And, you know, you mentioned India and, you know, obviously we've talked about China, the population there and the population of India, like, and there, those are big countries with a lot of people, but China's got a lot of land and Russia's got a lot of, a lot of land with even less people. So I guess like you understand, like, being spread out that far, I guess it makes sense how they could get, just get destabilized, you know, over time. Yeah, I agree. It's really uh, a thought that is coming out a lot. And it's all these op-eds, all this kind of stuff is being written about it. But after having studied a place like China deeply, in particular, the complexity of China, you know, really helps you understand what a country is like when it really is a mess underneath. And most people just haven't Honestly, the geography, the geographic knowledge is weak. And I think that's the best way to think about it, right? There's a lot of unifying features that actually make the relatively large population, actually the very large population of the United States, far more stable. I'm one of the people I actually believe there's much more long-term stability in the United States than the people are uh, aware of. And I think once you compare it to other countries and you really see the way they function or don't function, it becomes more clear. Which is an example. I'm in Santa Monica right now, and it's probably one of the more liberal places on earth, but still you go... Uh, you know, if you look at a, if you go county by county during any federal presidential election, it's like 40% of the people actually voting Republican, right? right. It actually, like you, it looks super red, super blue, but in all, it's, it's actually really not. And again, this is a question of, of distribution, right? So how are people spread out and what are the integrating features? So the United States, you basically have the, the giant Mississippi river system. We probably talked about this. This integrates a lot of the land overlaid on top of that. You have road and rail systems. You have a distributed uh, economic infrastructure where there's many parts of the United States that are functional economic units on their own, right? California does its thing. Pacific Northwest does its thing. Texas does its thing. The Great Lake Chicago is doing its thing. They're not all dependent. So in Russia, you have like Moscow, <laughs> you know, you, or in a lot of places you have the, the main political center is the center of, of everything often because that's where they redistribute all the taxes and, and stuff like that. Mm. The United States has a much more broad based set of economic opportunities. And the real question is always, what's the, the state of the, the sort of the sense of nationalism and political integration and consolidation? And you go around the world, Americans are very uh, a nationalist and, and, and proud and American in general. And we get into our, all, all of our fights and we're very noisy and it's all very rowdy and rambunctious, but this is totally different from what you see like in a Russia or a China. And that's definitely something we could talk about, but it's it's tougher because it's I, I, the, it's the best way to talk about this is just like to show it on a map, right? It's a, to kind of show things. It's so much easier when it's visual right. versus like 
like if I were like whenever I talk, I always want to like close my eyes and like imagine it as I'm talking, but it's <laughs> a bit weird. Well, you could pull do. a map up and share it if you want to. I mean, that's and we yeah, could, that would be kind of cool. We could do that, but yeah, it's just it's just it's really interesting. It to might kind be kind of cool actually. Put the put all those things through a different lens that we normally see them. Oh no, I'm stuck on my cord. Um, <laughs> so it's because it, you just realize how much is going on that we just never realize. Um, yeah, but it's talking about the the. The the governmental centers make makes me real weary about talking about turning DC into a state. Maybe that makes makes me even more concerned about that idea. Now that you mention it like that, yeah. You know, an interesting thing is I've actually been far less concerned about uh, American domestic. I'm actually basically I wouldn't say I'm ignoring American domestic politics right now, but I kind of am. Like like everybody is in 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 a real sense because no one is just like "Ah, whatever. It's a shit show. Like, yeah, I'm just gonna keep doing it. <laughs> like I probably, I think I might have said it before, but like the U.S. is going through a restructuring. The political parties and like the, co- the coalitions are they're kind of reconfiguring themselves. Like I have a lot of friends who were strong Republicans before Trump, and now they refuse to call themselves Republicans. I have friends who had no affiliation at all. Now they're strong. You know, it's all changed, and there's new coalitions are forming. So it's just a chaotic period. I'm not focusing on all the little individual changes, but it's you know it's a it's a real thing. I actually forgot where I was going to go with that. But yeah, the, the basic, the basic thing with the United States is that domestic politics is a, is a mess, but it's not like the, the country underneath is actually still, uh, functioning. Yeah. I, th- I guess people, people don't think people don't believe me when I say this kind of stuff, but. <laughs> well, I think when you, when, when you see it in like a normal, the normal person, especially maybe not the normal person, I guess it depends on what you define as normal. Um, but like if you look on social media or any of these things where you can kind of see these things happening or, you know, um, media outlets, whatever it is, like, it always seems like everything's burning down. Um, because that's, you know, sex sells. Um, but like, so people see these things and they like, all they see is for the most part, either everybody that agrees with me or everybody that doesn't. And then you realize like you go out and about and you talk to people and it's like, all right, we might just disagree, you know, politically but unless we bring it up we would never know it and it's i i think people at least myself i i know for me i see things and i'm like i think it's so much worse than it really is until you realize it's it kind of comes down to the 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 people that are most upset or the people that are the most ridiculous or whatever it is they're always the loudest so we hear them more and it's like you kind of forget to like you know, parse those things out and make sure you categorize them properly that, Hey, not everybody is, is, you know, feeling this way. Yeah. And there's, here's the second part I was going to say is like, while I, I'm sort of, uh, I've been ignoring a lot of us politics. The other big reason is because it's, it's stalled. Right. And a big reason I wasn't mm. early on, I wasn't saying, Oh, glo-, you know, it's all going to, the shit is going to hit the fan next month. Get ready. I was kind of like, Oh, it's a year or two. We'll see. You don't want it to be too big, but also U.S. politics in general is stalled, but history is moving again. So this is the key thing. A lot of these debates and stuff we've been having about all sorts of social issues, all this kind of stuff, this is all this is all going away. We're going to have real issues all around the world and in the United States, and they're coming like right now within you know, months. Coming fast. With, definitely within a year. It's coming fast. And so we're going to have to change. We've already seen like political, unthinkable political changes have happened in a country like Germany. Germany, the Green Party, which is like – 
a lot you could say about that party, but in general, Germany's transforming, right? It's given up all this whole thing with uh, Russia. It's trying to transform its whole industry. It's having to think about doing you know, coal, natural gas, all these energy things, all these things that it's left was very concerned with. All of it is going out the window because times are changing. History is moving again, and real, real needs have appeared and real threats. And so that is what really kind of can jolt these stuck political systems out of, uh, out of whack. And we've all seen it. We only govern by crisis at this point. Like we've known that for a long <laughs> time now. That's and good. So, I like that. That's, and, and I was just waiting for the like this other stuff wasn't a real crisis. Actually, I'm gonna this time. I felt like with everything going on, I'm actually gonna pour myself a beer for this. Hey, go this conversation. For it. I, um, um, I got my my bourbon ready. Oh, nice. This yeah. Actually, uh, well, maybe not. It's not exactly from your parts, but it's a uh, a Woodenville. Um, it's made in Washington, Wood. I believe. In Washington. Yeah. yeah nice. Not quite next door, but it's, it's kind of close. Close, a lot closer than me. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna be up pretty nearby. I'm gonna be up in Oregon probably in uh, September, or October. Do some camping out in Southern Oregon. That'll be good. Uh, yeah. All right. What was I gonna say? Uh, I completely. I was pouring a beer. I just got enthralled by the gold, uh, yeah. <laughs> by the gold drink. Um, uh, but it, we yeah. were talking. Yeah, I mean, United States and. The political system and how oh, the governing by crisis. Yeah, governing by crisis, man. So I was just waiting for the real crisis. Like deglobalization is the real crisis. This is the breakdown of the system the U.S. built uh, over the last seventy-five years and after World War, after World War II, and then it tried to rejigger to include Russia, the new Russia, and China in the nineteen nineties. And unfortunately, Russia is getting booted. Well, not unfortunately. I mean, it's. Showing that it's Russia, we can stop pretending countries are all just versions of each other, and they're totally the same, and we don't want to stereotype anyone or anything. Uh, and then China is also going to get booted pretty soon too, and that is the way it's going to work. And that's uh, that means the system we built the last thirty years, it's got to go, and that's going to be major dislocations and transformations of everything. And yeah, so that's 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 when you stop talking about bathrooms. Basically, is the way I'm going to put it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I get you. I think that's, uh, it was, I, I thought about that earlier when you, you had mentioned something, I don't know exactly what it was, but like when, when we start, you know, we've, we've been, um, needing a, a uh, I heard somebody say it one way where it was like, basically like, Hey, we need a good war. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. So I agree with that, but we needed like, we needed a good crisis and COVID was not a good crisis because that was just a shit storm that. No, I still don't know how all that thing happened and exactly how all that thing played out. But you, you realized it when, you know, we think that, you know, our government or our society or whatever it is, like we're so advanced and, you know, we got everything, we got everything under control. Now we got, you know, we talk about globalization where, you know, we're dealing with China and Russia and, you know, all these, you know, Saudi and the, in the, all the, everything's going great. We're, you know, we all have our differences and, but that's okay. We're all different and everything's going well. And then until something happens and it's like, it just completely falls apart and you realize that, Oh, they never, maybe we never really knew what we were doing, but we, we were just getting by. Like we were lucky for a while that it just happened to work out. And it seems like it, that's becoming more apparent. And I don't know if it's the people in those positions or it's just human nature in itself, but we've seen things fall apart real quick. Yeah. I mean, a whole parts of the global system have been uh, <laughs> both running on autopilot and we've just been doing it by the seat of our pants. 
And we've also just kind of been winging it for a lot of it, whether it's like monetary policy, all sorts of things. You think all the sophisticated people have just been like really doing it, you know, yeah. going through all of the permutations. No, it's just been like, all right, this this works in the moment. Let's not touch it because it looks a little unstable, but I don't want to really poke around because <laughs> then we'll really find out. <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, that's not inaccurate for sure. And I think that the United States it's just, it's going to be a real change. I mean, a lot of people's value systems are going to be totally transformed. People who believe that we're going to head into a, a, you know, a great future with green energy, green, cheap, beautiful energy. It was going to renew the earth. That's going to be really tested. Mm-hmm. If you believed all sorts of things about the environment, how we'd come together to save ourselves from climate change and all this kind of stuff, it, none of this is, is going to pan out, unfortunately. So we're going to have to reconfigure like what we believe. And th- this is a, a real major sort of thing. Um, it's it's really tough. <laughs> the, the sort of scale of it is pretty is pretty crazy, and you kind of see it. Like COVID really exposed how things are really bad for people. But you you're right. I've heard a lot of people say that we need a war, right? We need something like a war. The idea being we need something to focus on to like muster ourselves together and and focus. And China's that thing right now. So the whole U.S. government is basically trying to transform itself to focus on China and to motivate itself to basically try and get the U.S. to let up its, up its game by having a competitor, you know, having someone you could sort of like the U.S. perform better when it was competing with the Soviet Union. So maybe we'll do the same thing with China. Unfortunately, we're going to soon find out that China is house cards and it's not going to be we're not going to be competing with it with it the way we, we think we were. And we're not going to be competing with Russia. So it's really funny. The military reports, Pentagon reports that come out and they have all these reports about who the competitors are and the other countries and what we need to do to compete with them and fight them, and beat them, all that kind of stuff. And they describe uh, China as a near peer threat. That's fair. They're building all sorts of stuff. And they also called Russia one as well, like Russia and China. And we're rapidly realizing that Russia can't do the most basic military functions. Right. I mean, I don't know if you've heard this. You, you've probably read about all this, like the sheer yeah. epic incompetence of what's been going down on it their side. It seems to be that way. You you would think if they um, – and that was one thing in, we can get into it if you have I, – I, I'm interested to hear your particular ideas about – um, the whys and the what's and like you said why they have to do this now because um, that's an yeah. interesting aspect I never really thought of that like it's it's not just um, you know hey we want Ukraine or Crimea or whatever it is. it's it's this thing that's like it's something else is behind it driving like yes well, well, we got deeper forces because we deeper need, forces man deeper yeah, forces we, we need uh, this additional you know access to resources and the black sea or whatever it is like we need we need to expand this because we can't survive on what we have um but like uh, it just seems like man like if they were going to go full on out which it kind of seems like they they kind of are i mean they're just bombing everything and you know not worried about you know it seems like they're not worried about civilian casualties maybe there's some there's a lot of news that you just never know exactly what the truth is where that line is but like if you would think that country that big that is supposed a, a superpower like well why are if the, and if they don't care about you know war crimes and you know being decent people in war if that's a you know a thing i'm they don't. <laughs> well, yeah. Like, so like, why didn't they just wipe the whole country out and just take it? Like if that was their plan, like why, why weren't they able to do that? It, it seems kind of con- like, are they really that inept at, or they, or they don't have the ability they don't have the people. They don't have, you know, all these things that you've mentioned. It's all of the above, man. It's really all, it was a bad plan executed poorly with bad information, and bad logistics. It's really quite epic. The scale of this. So just to break it down a bit, 
like Putin, Putin's, he was, he's a basically, you know, cult of personality, one man leadership. Nobody tells him what's really going on. You know, the, the military always says, oh, it's great. We're building all sorts of rockets. It's amazing at the Oslov plant or whatever. Because like, they're too afraid to, to tell him what's really going on. <laughs> yeah. And so he gets a, a skewed view of the world. But the, the key failure here probably on their part was they tried to eat. They bit off more than they could chew, right? They thought they were more powerful than they were. Uh, and really the power is like they, they can't do – they are fighting a war like the U.S. fought probably in the early 1980s. That's how bad it is. Their command and control is terrible. Their coordination between the different uh, armed services – is really bad. Their their doctrines are are terrible. Their their logistics is horrific. Like we basically learned that if they got if we got into a conflict with them, we would obliterate the Russian military. That that's what the conclusion has been on the American side. They had a forty mile long convoy of just tanks in a row. Right. The the U.S. Air Force would lose. That's a turkey shoot. Man. I mean, that's like that's worse than what you saw in Iraq when they basically glassed a whole like whole roadways of uh, in 1991 during desert storm i mean it's it's pretty bad and then obviously they had this giant 40 mile convoy they couldn't uh they didn't give it enough fuel and they didn't give the soldiers enough food right. so it ran out of fuel and then the they ran out of the soldiers right. did. yeah it's all terrible so but getting back to what i was getting to they bit off more they can than they could chew their plan was probably to just quickly push to kiev uh replace the leadership put in a kind of puppet secure their influence Gain, actually gain some uh, – they actually wanted Russian speakers. So they want to bolster their overall demographics and population by gaining uh, the, the Russian speakers in the east. I mean and they, the problem is they've, they've basically messed up all of their, their – uh, the outcomes they want, right? So they didn't manage to get uh, Kiev really quickly. And they also tried to attack from three fronts, and they basically didn't supply any of them or give them enough firepower or intelligence or anything right. to accomplish their goal. And then the, the fear, the resistance has been fierce. So really, what they probably should have done is just just go for the east first, just just take that. Like they, you know, maybe he got too worried that now is the time he finally realized the scale of how bad things were and started to like, uh, you know, maybe push and push too hard. But they've performed so bad, man, so bad that they probably can't. Like I actually did a video. I was saying, you know, Russia's eventually gonna, you know, this might be long, but eventually Russia's gonna you know, take Ukraine because they have. That was my assumption. I mean, the the scale of how bad their military is doing and how weakened and de de just de debilitated it is really like their officer corps all there's so many problems i mean you can go on twitter and there's guys like military guys analyzing all this stuff it's it's wild how bad they're doing they probably can't even take all of ukraine at this point right and what i will say that the thing that people need to realize is that the the russian way of war is not like the american way of war right we have like really high quality weapons and we use precision strikes and we do very detailed coordinated calculated operations and you're trying to minimize the loss of life on your side and on the other side in terms of non-combatants that's not <laughs> that's not what the russians do right so that's the question is is the real concern is obviously um there's concern for the ukraine people um and even honestly the the people of russia that have nothing to do with this they're like well, why why are you destroying our lives? We're just trying to like live over here. Yeah. Um, but like the main concern now would be like, all right, well, what happens if they realize that they've lost, they've been backed into a corner and they just, oh, yeah. and Putin just goes, yeah, okay, let's just start pressing the nuke buttons. Like, because why not? I think it was at the, um, one of Russians top guys said something the other day that kind of alluded to, you know, nuclear war is a serious threat. Like, like it just is like, that's a possibility. Yeah. And it was like, like, that's, that's the, like, what could happen with that? If it was, he was just like, you know what? 
you know, I lost. I had a good run at it. Let's push the buttons. Like, yeah, definitely. There's a real threat of – I mean I, I know this is kind of grim. There's a real threat of, of nuclear war. Ideally – I mean not ideally. It does not seem to be a – this is more – we're entering a world where there's going to be not a not insignificant threat of nuclear conflict in many pla- in a, a number of places. But mostly these will be regional, right? The And I know that sounds horrifi- horrifying to talk about just regional or tactical nuclear weapons. But the Cold War era was – global right we fire them all you fire one you fire yeah, them that's all. the concern right? it, that's and that's the concern and so what the united states and nato is doing why basically every single nato country is now pushing weapons into ukraine is the idea is basically let's make this russia's graveyard because let's say, let's say what happens like let's say they actually got ukraine all right great you have ukraine good job but are you any better off right actually you add in ukraine if you added that part of russia to russian territory you have a, a worse border. You actually, it's all weirder. You're, you're now, you have all these Polish people above you. You have the, you're right next to the Germans. Like you're still vulnerable. So you need to push farther. You actually need to go basically to Romania, you need to go through Poland and you go the, need to go to the, all the way to the Baltic Sea. That, that's those gaps I was talking about. Ukraine itself isn't enough. It's actually just on the way. <laughs> that, and yeah, and if they can't the make problem. it through that, then. That's, but that's the plan. Th- th- this is the general plan in the West right now. It stops here, right? That, that, that's, seriously, this is the plan. The, the Ukraine's being Ukraine's being given the most like this is the most well-funded proxy war, come insurgent potential insurgent uh, guerrilla operation that the world has ever seen. And realistically, it doesn't look like the Russians have the capacity to actually do this. So this is actually a good thing for the world in the end. The, their military is going to fail the conventional side. However, the key thing is what what happens like you said, with the nuclear option. So the real problem, well, there's two problems. First, if they if they succeeded in Ukraine, they would feel emboldened, and then they would go on to attack NATO countries. When And then the answer is nuclear war because the U.S. would obliterate them. You know what I mean? Like, right. they'd be like oh, yeah, you managed Ukraine. Good job. <laughs> Meanwhile, like, you know. Yeah, because that's when the, start- the whole thing is like, hey, we, we can't actively, like, put, you know, uh, we can't take, take necessarily an active role in defending yeah. Ukraine, you know, the, the no fly zones, all these things, because that's just that step towards, uh, you know, what could be seen as, you know, direct us aggression. And that would be, you know, no good. That's kind of the, it seems to be the, the general consensus of like, Hey, we got to stay out, stay out of this as much as possible. But I mean, just like you said, the amounts of, uh, money that is being funneled into, you know, Ukraine for weapons and defense stuff. It's like, and real weapons, man, howitzers, like all sorts of uh, drones. It's it's a real it's, – this is extremely, extremely well supported and supplied. Right. It's impressive. It is impressive. But all at the same time, you think on the back end, it's like, I mean, like we're already in more debt than we've ever even like imagined the number. So like what is that doing now that like – you know, I, I look at that like from a financial perspective and I have some different financial questions I want to ask you later. Um, but like – like what is that going to do to us as a nation and at the same time like maybe on the other hand does it really matter because everyone's just making like fake money and like we're just like <laughs> where's where's all this stuff coming from like you know like what what is all yeah. this going to mean in the future for that kind of like ah, I yeah know. i mean so the crazy the crazy thing is the this ukraine war is part of like it's really the domino for kind of the, I mean, COVID was like <laughs> just the prelude <laughs> to, the, to the new world yeah, rendering. And really, this is the first domino. Who would have thought domino. we'd be saying that? 
who, who no but it, <laughs> right. it really it really is true though it's yeah. it's crazy it's crazy when you think about it and there are so many things that are coming down the pipeline that Right now, we kind of have uh, Biden in particular is trying. He's almost doing like a, a sort of boomer theater in a sense, where he's like, "Hey, like we are defending freedoms again, everybody else, and we're fighting Russia, and it feels really good." But this is all going to fade uh, soon enough. Ideally, Russia does get sort of stymied there. Uh, that's ultimately a good thing, uh, just so it doesn't expand further. And yeah, there is there's definitely all sorts of economic challenges coming, and, and they're even broader than just you know that. In the scheme of things, the sending some weapons to them isn't that big a deal. But what's happening, and, and the view from 30,000 feet here. So the 1990s, we were talking about Cold War ends, and let, let's integrate Russia, and then also particularly with the China into the WTO and China, further integrate China. The two big bad, the big bads of, of the right. global system, right? These are the two bad boys. But, you know, North Korea, these aren't the same level, right, as the the Iran, and they're not quite the same level as Russia and China. So, and the way it kind of worked out economically is that what basically happened is Russia provided the inputs. It provided the oil and the coal and the natural gas and the minerals and the metals and all that. It's the largest country on earth. It has no industry. When the 1980s sort of opening up of Russia, it, it, it cratered the really inefficient Russian industry and it never recovered. The all they did, so they didn't like use their own resources. They sent it to the rest of the world. And that made all these resources cheaper. That made natural gas for Germany much cheaper. That made energy in general for for Europe cheaper. It made metal prices, all this stuff much cheaper. So that added a major deflationary effect to the entire world economy as the price of major inputs are all reduced, particularly energy, which is an input for everything. And then you have the China side of things. China's role basically was to do the outputs. Russia gave a lot of it. And then China produced all the, the things. <laughs> it assembled all these things, all the manufactured goods. They were built all around the world, finally assembled in China and sent around the world. And the net effect of that was also a, de a major deflationary effect because you had the equivalent of hundreds of million, hundreds and hundreds of millions of super cheap workers that just entered the economy, right? There's no difference like buying something. I mean, I'm sure you've bought something you're like, that is a really hefty piece of steel and iron that's welded and it was like 15 bucks. How does this work? Like, I'm sure you've had things like that you bought. You're like, how does this work? Like, how how do well, I get this so inexpensive? Yeah. Well, it's basically like you have basically peasant cheap labor in China that is equivalent like to being next door to you because the transportation costs are so cheap. The shipping costs, all of it was super cheap. But this is all done. So exactly. <laughs> was. was. So yeah. the Russia thing is it's about to create or about to see huge. We already already seeing we're seeing the largest rise in commodity prices all around the world we've seen in, in 60 years. I, yeah. I actually just tweet. I never tweet, but I was, I actually, my tweet, I went on there. I was like, so I guess I can say anything now. That was my thought. <laughs> I don't know and all I just go on, that's, that's and, done with. But yeah. and, and, and then I just ended up just saying the exact same things I say because I'm, I don't know. I, that's just what I did. But yeah, it's, uh, we're seeing, you know, we have the highest food prices in the world and we're about to see, I mean, the really dark stuff. Well, I'll get to the really dark stuff in a second, but Basically, we're seeing all these commodity price increases, so inflation is up, and then we're going to see the same thing when the China side of things break down. You're going to see the whole manufacturing uh, inflation, and you have to see the rejiggering of the entire uh, industrial system, and you're going to have to do this while the entire sort of global supply chain thing is still messed up. Right. And you're having energy costs increase the cost of shipping. That's a big – you all got to remember. Everything that you ship anywhere, you have higher energy prices. Mm. The, the cost of literally everything goes up. Yeah. So – it's a uh, this and so I was gonna say how does this relate to economics? <laughs> Inflation is here to stay. <laughs> I don't know who anyone is listening to. Like 
a lot on the conservative side, there's this sort of Milton Friedman 1970s thing where, oh, uh, all of the all of the you know inflation is just from the Fed. It's all the Fed, Fed, Fed. It's like yes, there's you know the central banks can do all sorts of terrible things, but there's also deeper structural things, right? And one thing that's happening as the population ages, you're you're losing productive workers, right? You're you're going from you know, the, the guys who are, you know, 20, you know, 30, 40, 50, who are like, no, if you're 45 years old, you're at the top of your career, you've paid off all your stuff, you're just minting money, your kids are probably gone, you're, you know, you're, you're at the top, you have all this money, and you, you feed it into the world, you put it into pension funds and all these different things, versus you're like, you know, a, 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 you know, a 10-year-old or whatever, and you're consuming all this stuff, and you don't pay for anything, you don't develop any money. The, the problem we're entering is that we're just, we just have a much less capital-rich world in general. So all this money that's been flooding into crypto and flooding all over the world, that's all going to start pulling back. It's going to pull back to the dollars, it's going to pull back to other stuff, but it's also going to raise the cast of capital <laughs> everywhere in the world. So I know this is starting to sound grim, but that's well, what's happening. You know, I think, I think a lot of times, at least um, when I've made the realization, a lot of people um, maybe still have yet to, to realize when it comes to um, some of these real in-depth things that, you know, most, uh, most of our shows that we do here are, are not nearly as in-depth as what we get from you, which I like a little bit of variety of everything. That's, that's why I really appreciate some of these things that you talk about, because we, we have to realize that like all of these things impact us. And, you know, I, I, cause I used to be one of those people that like, I thought like politics doesn't impact me. It doesn't, it doesn't even matter. Even if I did care yeah. this, that, whatever, well, you know, it, everything trickles downhill and it's, I kind of see it as a, um, or a good analogy would be like a, this is a, a traffic jam in whether it be economics or, you know, geopolitical tensions, whatever it is, like we we're entering a traffic jam, but most people think like we're sitting in the traffic jam. But what's really happened is the accident has just occurred and the traffic jam has just started and it takes time. And even after the, the accident has been cleared, you still sit in traffic until everything else keeps on gets moving yeah. and, and, and catches back up. And that's like, people don't realize like, well, my bacon was twice as much as it was last month. <laughs> like when's the, when am I going to pay the regular price for it? Never. Cause that's how inflation works. Like that's how these things work. Like, you can't go back and change this accident and you can't go back and change the time that you, you know, sat there and in traffic because it's it's changed your reality moving forward forever like it, you can't i don't think you could, at least at least that's my view like it doesn't seem like any of this can ever be even remotely you know rewound to even something close to what it was before no 2019 was really the last year of the world that we that we knew and i think anyone thinking about food and, and price inflation and shrinkflation where you like you get less of an oreo than you used to <laughs> and that's been happening for money a long it. time and we just never realized yeah. it because they were so good I know. At it. <laughs> but now you're like i needed that oreo <laughs> that was how i would feel good today um no no it's a bad thing but what's happening so the 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 dark side of what's going to happen so we talked about the energy stuff we talked about the chinese manufactured goods we talked about i mean obviously the suffering in ukraine is bad and i think people should be aware that Ukraine's not going back to like there were the same way we have a higher and more expensive bacon and that's might be here for a while. Ukraine isn't going back to something better. So people might not know, but Ukraine is actually still in a worse economic position than it was, you know, it's worse than it was when the Soviet Union fell. It never actually recovered systemically across the country 
like you know like the U.S. does after a recession. And so, what's going to happen in in Ukraine is Russia's one of the things that's happening as it realizes it's not going to achieve its aims is that it's starting to just destroy civilian infrastructure. So obviously kill civilians, but it's also just destroying all the things that make Ukraine function so that if it's not going to be part, basically it's like, if you can't have it, if we can't have it, nobody can have it. Sounds that's like, there. sounds like government. It sounds like government. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, nobody can have it. So that's bad. And so things are going to, I mean, it's really unfortunate because even though we are supporting Ukraine, supporting the Ukrainian people, what the U S government is really trying to do is it not really try, it's, it's trying to achieve its ends of, you know, ending the Cold War and basically just finally putting the nail in the coffin of Russia while not triggering a nuclear war. And while, uh, but it's, it's going to use Ukraine as the battlefield. And we're going to tell ourselves, oh, that we're going to, you know, rebuild this country afterwards. No, there's going to be so many problems and so many fires starting up all around the world. We think it's just Ukraine right now, but it's going to really spread. And one of the ways it's going to spread is food. Like we were talking about. So food is getting more expensive here. And we've talked before a lot about agriculture. And we've talked about how if you the more, you know, better agriculture you have, the cheaper, the more efficient, the larger your population, but also just the more stable and the cheaper prices you have. And more crucially, the less famine you experience. Because what we're probably gonna see in the next few months and definitely next year is a famine or famines everywhere. Because Russia and and Ukraine are major uh, both food exporters mm -hmm. and also fertilizer exporters. And people may not know this, but the reason we have this giant population in the world, there's this thing called the Green Revolution in the 60s, and but the, the gist of it is basically we started industri injecting industrial chemicals into uh, the you know the land, basically. Basically, you started giving some steroids. No, okay, that's unnecessary. That's how I describe China and what they do. But in general, we just use uh, industrial fertilizers. We have chemical fertilizers that give you nitrogen and potassium and phosphorus. And those are the main chemicals that plants need. And this, we're basically running out of those uh, those uh, chemicals. Not only are they so, the price of them going way up because you're losing the market for the Russian and the Ukrainian uh, materials. And you have problems, actually, one of the largest exporters of potash, this potassium fertilizer is also Belarus, which is kind of part of the whole Russian thing. This means that the planting season, which is spring right now for a lot of crops, is they're just not planting as much food. Or if they don't have the fertilizer, they're going to get way lower yields than they would because you're basically lacking the nutrients. So we're not going to – not we, but like all around the world, a place like Egypt, for example, it's going to be really hard hit. It gets you know, a lot of its uh, fertilizer from Ukraine, and it, 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 there is no – there is no place to substitute it, I guess is the way to say it. This is one of those things like oil. It's like, huh, all right, let's just get some oil from somewhere else. It's like, <laughs> no, buddy, we would not be dealing with Saudi Arabia if you could just find some other stuff elsewhere. That's the challenge, and we're going to see it with fertilizer, lack of fertilizer. Forget uh, wheat exports. Like fertilizer is a real key thing you're going to start seeing more of about in the next few months on the news. And the way it works is you have a planting season. You plant the you know spring you know spring crops and you plant winter ones, and then like clockwork, you can see how many people you can feed. And we haven't seen famine. The United States, the continental United States, has never experienced a famine. But other countries are not so lucky. China has experienced a famine once every two years for about two thousand years. And that's what I mean by shit land. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's why I wonder too. And this is kind of a side topic that we don't necessarily have to get into because I don't know really anything about it. But I've heard discussions about, um, you know, the way we do like monocropping in the United States, and eventually, like, is that going to be an issue for us to where we aren't able to 
even if we have the fertilizers and all the things we need, like able to, you know, get that yield from our crops that, that we need to, to support our population. It's like, woof, like that, that's kind of scary too. So it's like, that's you know. huge. No, that's a huge topic. So, and I was actually in college, everybody was really, back when I was in college, everybody was so into uh, permacultures and let's move away from monocrop agriculture. And there's a lot to be said about that. There's certain ways we use so other chemical, also people need to realize that natural gas, like you get a lot of, you get a nitrogen, one of the ways you get nitrogen fertilizer is actually the synthesis of natural gas. So it's one of the things that comes from it. So you raise the, the price, all this stuff is connected, unfortunately. So it, it kind of spirals out. But getting back to the monoculture stuff, this is interesting. The What we're actually talking about in a weird way is a the, the old difference between the old world crops that what you kind of grew in the fertile crest basically eurasia back in you know mesopotamia all that kind of stuff and then what they did in the new world basically mesoamerica like mexico and andes like modern day peru in the new world we we i guess we because we're, we're here now uh we did we did uh permaculture stuff where you basically have multiple different crops and you do all this kind of stuff and there are benefits to the ecosystem there in, in a local way but there are serious problems with mono with mono uh culture large-scale industrial agriculture, but uh, it's the only way to feed people right now that we have. So, and the way it works is that if you don't have, so you can kind of flip it. If you wanted to do this permaculture stuff everywhere, we, you know what I'm talking about with permaculture? Have you kind of heard that phrase before? It's basically the opposite. So instead of just like yeah, rows of corn, you'd have multiple Recycling things. different types and doing different things in yeah, different yeah. batches, you know, do one this year. So it, you're not using all of the certain, you know, properties and chemicals from the, or nutrients from the ground yep. that, you know, certain plants and things use and yeah. yeah, yeah, cool. As, as long as we, the, the, just, I just didn't want to be talking about and you didn't have the image of it. Yeah, but if we did that, if we did the permaculture thing, you'd need way more land to feed the number of people that we do now because there's a small yield. And the other problem with it is that it's not as easy to do basic uh, mechanized tool agriculture. So when you have right. all these fields, you can you can get a combine through it and you can harvest it and you can thresh it and you can you can do all this stuff easily. And one of the challenges actually in China and in you know, new world agriculture has always been that their land is really bad. You know, it's hilly and it's, it's bad. And it's not good for mechanized agriculture. That's always reduced uh, the yields that could potentially have. And it's a, a real problem. You basically want land that you can use uh, modern tools on. That means chemical tools and it means uh, you know mechanical tools, right? right? All of that is extremely important to getting uh, high reliable yields. And I, I'm saying this after having spent quite a long time in like when I was in college, like wondering about a, a glorious future of like biofuels and permacultures and stuff like this. But it's a problem with everything, man. So even another area, uh, replacing, you know, everybody wants electric vehicles, right? And so one of the, the toughest things to make electric is a plane. You know, they have to fly really far. It's really big batteries. Yeah. And basically use a, firm, a form of kerosene to, to do it. So one good option has always been to, well, why don't we make a biofuel? that we could use instead of that. Well, you do the calculations, you basically would need a, yeah, um, you'd need to, you know, plant a, uh, a, a, uh, you know, a region like larger than like Pennsylvania, Kansas, and Virginia put together to basically have enough fuel just, just to send us planes around, you know, planes for the U S population. It's a, it's a massive amount. It's the same challenge where it sounds good in the, in the lab or when you're in university and you don't have to think about scaling it up. Right. But this is the thing you got to scale it. If it doesn't scale, it's like, you just broke the thing, which has problems, but yeah, we're gonna have to. You're gonna have to go back to the field. If we want to do permaculture, we'd be in the fields feeding ourselves again, probably. Right. Well, it's the same. I guess it's the same argument as you know, even electric cars. It's like it's great the idea of electric cars and being able to not burn fossil fuels to get around, but 
where do we get the power to charge the electric cars from? Well, you know, are we going to do nuclear? Because that's not. Cause it sounds like that's a, a, a leading towards a better option. But you know, typically the people that um, you know aren't down for fossil fuels and people hear nuclear power plants it's like oh no you hear you know fukushima and uh you know all these different things it's like it's so scary i get the the technology has changed but like we can't plant enough windmills to you know charge everyone's car in the united states if they're all electric so it's like and even as a side note i saw something uh the biden said the other day that they were going to make all of the military vehicles um was it carbon neutral? I think it was. I, I want to. Huh. I think. That's I think it was carbon neutral. And I'm like, God damn, it's awfully hard to make an F-18 carbon neutral. Like, <laughs> you know, I don't. I don't know if that falls under, you know, vehicles. But you know, we we forget to like in not only like with the EVs and the recharging them and how do we use to recharge them, but like, what are we doing with the the mining and the collection of materials it takes to build? these things you know you hear about these stories that you know, these basically kids over in africa are like digging these things yeah. out it's like man like in the congo yeah it's like what do we do? you know we 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 lose track of the the real big picture and being able to you know like you said that thirty thousand foot view and not only like being able to see it from the thirty thousand foot view or the one foot view but being able to see all those layers throughout the entire thing yeah. and really kind of put all that together it's like it's, it's tough to do when you you know these ideas, like you said, sound great, but are they practical? How are we going to implement them? And we just don't know how it seems like. Yeah. And I, I gave a, a one-off thing earlier about how it's going to be really tough to implement the whole green uh, vehicle revolution. And a big reason why is all of the materials that we need for these, uh, these vehicles are, you know, they're scattered all around the world. Yeah. It's it a complex possible? supply chain. Yeah. It, it's just, it's, and unfortunately the, the Russian, the war in the last, um, basically this war and then the year before it's erased all of the gains, uh, the the decreases in the cost of batteries, which is the key thing. This key innovation we need. Like we need, if you want an electric future, I mean, I I'm, I'm happy to. If if we could have a world where we had solar power and it was just wind and it all worked, I, I'm all for it. it but sounds great. You need batteries. Like batteries are the key thing. You have to store the energy that you put in your car, and it has to be in a big battery. And you have to store the energy that you're getting from intermittent sources, like um, power sources like solar and wind. So that there's sort of in the power system, there's a base load, which is typically nuclear, coal, natural gas, where it's just like there all the time. And you have natural gas in particular, which could kind of ramp up quickly. And then you have the solar stuff. The, so the, the problem with the solar and the wind is that it's intermittent. And the only way to solve that is to have giant batteries that will store the stuff that you um, – that you, you're not using at the moment for when you need it. Without any losses. And, and, without any losses. And, but again, just the batteries, man. The, the ramp up we would need in batteries, the, you, need huge, you need to start investing in mining operations all over the world and in all sorts of places that you probably don't want to be, right? It's like we thought it was miserable we had to deal with Saudi Arabia for oil. Just wait until you're dealing with like every random country for this little mineral. Yeah. And again, I, I think it's a I, – I think – a world where we didn't have to deal with these dictators is good. I think a world where you're using better, I, honestly, just the fact that Tesla has made cars sexier and the tech inside them better is a net plus. Like there's now screens, it's a lot of stuff is, is going better, but it's tough, man. It's really tough. It's in most of the world. Also, just some places are never going to have renewable future. Like a place like, if you don't want to use nuclear power, Germany, I'm sorry, you can never have 
a renewable energy economy. Well, there's there's a, the sun like... never shines. The sun never shines, bro. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> there's no, it's overcast all the time. You have all these solar panels that you've installed that don't produce anything because the sun doesn't shine. And I, so did, I, did I see properly that they were, they were shutting down a couple of their nuclear plants or they were considering it or doing like, and I was like, well, Ooh. so this is one of the things where there's a big change in so yeah they were trying to shut they were planning to shut them down because of fukushima that was what the i think merkel and the greens really wanted it in the left coalition uh well not with merkel but in the current left coalition in germany the yeah but now they're russia's here and they're thinking huh so how do we get rid of all this gas and this oil that and if get you get rid Russia. of nuclear <laughs> yeah yeah it is they're just unwilling to face reality the reality is if germany's going to be burning coal pretty soon Spoiler alert. Spoiler. Like after all their talk, after all oh, their talk, they're going to be here first, burning just coal. Just like deglobalization, right? <laughs> they, they're going to be, yeah, they're going to be burning, not even just coal. They're going to be burning something called lignite, which is like the nastiest, dirtiest type of coal, which is what they have. Because they're, they're boxing themselves in. Like you said, well, we can't have nuclear because of that threat. And we don't like natural gas because it's not clean enough. And, you, you know, suddenly you're like, okay, well, I guess it's just <laughs> wind and solar in a place that doesn't have much yeah. of those. Well, I, so, saw, I, I saw a press release that were like um, – well, I don't remember who it was now. It was one of their officials or something was like, yeah, wear an extra sweater this winter. And it was like, well, <laughs> excuse me? Like what? Like – um, it, it was funny you mentioned the the or not maybe not funny at all, but like the battery thing. Um, I had a little first world problem thing today where I had to go. I had to get a battery for a um, a cordless drill. I had to, I had to get an additional one, and I like I've 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 been pretty heavily involved in construction and those types of things for you know a good majority of my life. So like I, I've had that like I feel like I'm getting maybe it's just I'm getting old. Maybe that's all it is. Mm. Where I had that like that. Um, like receipt in the back of my head. I'm like, I, I remember I used to pay this much for this like mm -hmm. before. And I was like, and I went into the store. I'm like, man, like, I don't want to do this. Cause I know these things aren't cheap, but you know, you got to do it. And I had kind of had like a price tag in my head that I was thinking. Yeah. Of. And I walked in there and I was like, holy shit. Like, and it was like all it was was like just the battery. So I'm like, I'm paying you mean the, the one, the rechargeable one that you, you slot in the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. So like what it like, cost. <laughs> it wasn't cheap, but all, okay. it was I, buying one battery cost me almost as much as I remember probably, probably five years ago, spending on a tool or multiple tools in multiple batteries with the charger. And I realized they don't mm. even now, a lot of times they're not even selling batteries with the tools anymore. You have to buy them separately. Weird. Wow. Because, and they're, they're all chained up and they're all locked in and, and I live in an area where um, typically things aren't locked up like that. Uh, I live in a, a fairly rural area and, you know, yeah. you go to the city and, you know, you see some things locked up sometimes they're easy to steal or whatever. But like now, like even in rural areas, like the batteries are just like locked down. Locked like, up. Oh, it's like weird. I'm not used to seeing this. Like I knew it was a thing because I've been to places that seen it and like it makes sense. But it's like, man, like, so like, I feel like what you're telling me is we need the aliens to come and give us fusion power. Is that, is, is that our only, is that our only way out here? If we, if the aliens come and give, break us down the fusion power. <laughs> God, I don't know. I mean, it wouldn't, it would, it would be nice if that's what they want to give us when they arrive. If it was just some <laughs> yeah, fusion right. power of all the things they could do, if they would give us fusion, I'd be pretty happy. But like, Hey, but you yeah. gotta knock this nuclear warhead shit off guys. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. You gotta knock that off. But no, I mean, uh, what's going to happen in Europe. So, I mean, so just looking a, a bit down the line here. We basically got 
we have a weird war going on, right? We have a war where all of Europe is ganging up. Not, sorry, that's not the way I'll put it. Russia invaded Ukraine, and now all of Europe has kind of unified into supporting Ukraine uh, together to, to fight Russia. Right. <laughs> Yet at the meantime, Russia is supplying them with all of their energy that they use to function. Right. So one of the things that is uh, coming down the pipeline and that that's kind of imminent is – the pretty soon the Russian uh, energy infrastructure, the whole system, is going to crack. It's going to break. Uh, they're going to have to probably shut it all down because the, you know these kind of like their military. The Russian infrastructure is pretty old. It goes through Siberia. All of the Western firms that used to maintain all of the new equipment, all the stuff that keeps things functioning, they've all left. Everyone has left Russia, and the Russians don't have the technical talent. All right, all the smart people leave Russia when they get the chance uh, to, to maintain the stuff. And so what's probably going to happen is the, they're going to have to shut off their, their pipes to prevent pre, – basically to prevent them from bursting or t- to flowing back all the way back to the wellhead in Siberia <laughs> and causing all, even more problems. Doesn't sound so good. that's going to take oh, three, to four billion, three to four million barrels uh, of oil a day off the market. And then we're in – this is when the, the new world <laughs> – the new world disorder really starts. Disorder. I, liked, uh, I, I haven't heard uh, that one yet. I like that. that the new world that was, disorder. I did, I, did a little, I did a little video that was called that. I thought it was really clever. Yeah, so this is when the new world disorder starts. That and might, that's maybe that would be the title of this episode. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> You might it, be stealing it. it. <laughs> yeah, take it. Take it. Uh, and yeah, and then the U.S. is going to have a real decision uh, about what to do. Because, you know, for right now, we're like, oh, we're going to, you know, Germany, everyone in Europe's pretending like, oh, we're going to wean ourselves off of Russian gas in like a year. Get out of here, dude. And, and, no, oil and gas. It's like, please, no, y- you missed the boat to sort of prepare for this. And, and it makes sense. In Europe, Russia's right next to you. You try and find a way to deal with them and it may, you try to make it work and then it fails. And then, you know, if you're Germany in particular, you finally give up and go your own way. And this, we've seen cycles of this throughout history. This is kind of the way things happen when you're those are your neighbors. You kind of have to try and deal with them. You end up with the same miserable cycles over and over again. But then the U.S. has a decision because we're going to see enormously inflated energy prices. And we're going to be like, right now we're in this kumbaya, boomer, boomer, like, I don't know, boomer nirvana where we're fighting the Russians and everything is back to normal. And then we're going to have to actually decide, well, do we want to keep supporting uh, Europeans and other people with a lot of oil? Because we now produce enormous amount of oil and natural gas. Do we want to do that? while all Americans at home are dealing with prices like they've never seen. So I'm in uh, in, in West LA, and there's a gas station with seven dollar gas as its as its top line stuff, which I don't put in my car. But still, the the fact that I'm seeing six ninety nine and nine tenths is pretty crazy. But that's really just the start if you lose oil. So, well, I just want to get this in really quick. Like oil, like we were talking about with these uh, like batteries and other stuff. Like oil is a very like inelastic market. Like you don't get new supply. It doesn't pop up, right? You're like, oh, it's like suddenly if you had an iPhone that was like $5, it's like everybody would buy an iPhone. <laughs> if it was literally $5, you would just do it. Uh, another way, you know, if it's crazy, you have a lot less demand, but you have to buy oil. So people buy it regardless and you don't get more or less buying if you have to buy about the same amount. And so you get a, a real problem when production gets taken offline. Prices just rise. Like you can't do much about it. And Biden trying to release things from the strategic reserve, like that's that's just populism. That's that's just populism. You're trying to. There's not enough. There is not an additional production. It's, it's like just, a joke. Yeah, it's a joke. It's kind of what that is. Um, unfortunately, I, I wish it wasn't a joke. Uh, but yeah, and so the U.S. skeptics decide because in 2015 they had a bill passed that basically allowed the U.S. to 
forbid the export of you know oil and natural gas um, as a the, the president can do it as a national security measure and so when the russian system breaks down and you just think about it right now this isn't this can't continue right you can't have we're, we're fighting we're all uniting against russia meanwhile they're giving us all this stuff we're not accepting all that but basically th- there's this is going to happen regardless um this you're not going to keep this is how they make their money but even more importantly it's like the actual technical infrastructure is going to break down and it's a real problem because it's probably going to break down for a long time the last time it broke down was at the fall of the Soviet Union in 1989. Russian industry just collapsed, right? And then all the energy that used to be used by Russian industry, it collapsed because, you know, it opened up the economy and then all of their products were like really cheap, really I mean, really bad, really expensive, really poorly made, really ineffective, all that kind of stuff, uh, really uneconomical. So it was just obliterated by competition. And then all the energy that used to be used in Russia, it all collapsed and they had to shut this stuff down. They only got it back, you know, functional a few years ago. So that took decades to get it to work because it's infrastructure in Siberia when right. things go wrong. You have to check it. Like if you just turn it back on and there was a bit of a pressure you know, problem in a certain weld, that boom. that burst in the – yeah, boom, <laughs> exactly. So it's it's dicey. And so this is this is the big – this is going to be the biggest energy shock since uh, – I mean World War II. It's, it's going to be way bigger than the, the 1970s stuff. And I know that, again, this is like a doomsday prediction type stuff here, but – you know, this is where we are. And then we're going to have the next decision is, well, okay, does the U.S. hive itself off from the global energy market? Do we just cut ourselves off and say, all right, Europe, we were really with you there and we still got to support Ukraine, but we can't fuel all of you without too much pain to our citizens. And there's a midterm election coming up right. and, you know, we're going to knock it off. And so that is a real problem. So you're going to see the world dealing with a lack of both Russian and American energy. And this is... uh well, I mean, this is the chain reaction. This is one of the more probable chain reactions that leads to the destruction and collapse of China, which is why I'm trying to race to finish my book and get all that done because I want to. I was <laughs> going to ask you about that. Yeah, I was going. Uh, yeah, no, so all that and yeah, but so I mean, this this is what's going on in the background, right? I mean, this is the energy system. So I remember being being younger and running. Why are we in the Middle East and why this war? I mean, uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. So stupid, so dumb, and all true. <laughs> That's like not yeah. wrong. Well, but there's, I think the, there's a lot of reasons for those things. Yeah, right? <laughs> but the the importance of energy isn't wrong. The energy is that important. You know what I mean? And then it's not like obviously you do it better. You do all these things and maybe don't do that that way. All that kind of stuff. But energy is that important that even the U.S. will go to war. Other people will go to war. And what we're probably going to see, like to get back to the question of like, do the aliens? We need aliens to give us fusion or <laughs> What's probably going to happen in Europe is they're going to start going pretty neo-colonial and start, you know, cutting some deals, moving some, trying to get some stuff from, you know, North Africa, West Africa, places they can reach. They're going to read, you know, re-resuscitate a lot of old colonial linkages, see if they can get the stuff they need to re-support their, you know, their economies. I mean, one of the things that's happened is our discussion of colonialism, imperialism, all this has gotten really distorted and, you know, because in America, everyone's, we have people from all over the world, so it's part of the identities and the clashes and all this stuff of like, well, this is stuff. But there is real relationships between uh, various regions that were part of one colonial system, and it's bad, it's weird, it's painful, it's oppressive, it's all that. But there's actual uh, relationships there that you can use, right. whether we're applying pressure or not, to uh, get resources you need. I mean that was the reason they exist in the first place. And now if we're back to a world of necessity where you're looking at 150, 75, 200 someplace oil – you do what you got to do. And this is what I mean when I say, huh, you know, the, the German Green Party that wants to run on solar panels in a place that can't have it and, you know, <laughs> not all this. This is when things start to change when you start to realize, okay, people, do we, you know, do we want to have heat in the winter 
right? Do we want to have lights uh, when, yeah, wait, when the sun yeah, is out? Are you telling me that Ireland is not going to be able to provide all of the world's solar power? Is that better? Or Seattle? Maybe that's where you Is that basically yeah, what you're Seattle. saying? That's a, like, yeah. God. It, it's, it's funny to see, like, to understand, I guess, because I don't, like I've told you before, I am far from knowledgeable on basically anything. I just kind of pull in pieces and parts. But if if you put a little effort into that, like it's it's such a far jump for the normal person to go from, you know, just not understanding any of this. And when you start understanding just little pieces of it, you go, well, this doesn't seem like this is going to work out very well. Like, yeah. And, but we keep getting told like, this is the way to do it. This is the way we got to do it. And it's like, wow, I guess, is it, what do you, what do you think that is part of the, you know, cause like you said, I'm, I'm all for green. I'm all for windmills and solar panels and, you know, being able this renewable energy that doesn't, you know, pump out a bunch of, you know, carbon and pollution and all these things like that sounds great. Like that. Awesome. I'm on board, but if it's just not physically possible, like why are we continuing to say that, Hey, this is, this is what we got to do. And we're going to do it in five years. Well, like five years for an entire country's infrastructure to be changed like that. I'm just throwing numbers out, obviously, but like, what's is the motivation just that that uh political at least for the in the united states is it just that political motivation of like well i only gotta like live this lie for four years or eight years or two years whatever it is if i'm in the center like is that is that really what it boils down to is it like are they just that hopeful or are they just that ignorant like how do you make sense of all that well i definitely think all these people current politicians putting out you know uh deadlines and sort of targets are going to that are going to be hit when they're not in office and they can't be in office <laughs> that's there's definitely that's an easy thing to do right like if you're the governor of california right now and saying in 2035 you're going to be here it's like well you're not going to be in office so it's <laughs> e- pretty easy to say uh yeah no, that's a big thing but also kind of on a deeper level i feel like particularly for the the political left in western countries there's a, a need to find an optimistic vision of the future that people can work for and be, feel motivated to achieve. So I think there's definitely a vision of uh, uh, inclusion and racial harmony and uh, sexual acceptance and all these things. But I think one of the bigger ones has been not, you know, it's basically been a renew the earth, heal the world, environmental sort of vision, a vision of basically a society that is, you know, is green and that has that has embraced all this stuff. It's been around like really in a strong way for 50 years. The and there's something to it. I think there's probably, I mean, could probably envision something a little better too. But the that's that's been a huge part of it. No, it sounds really good, uh, but it's become, you know, one of the it's become a dogma. The way it must happen, when it must happen, Mm. and unfortunately, even UN IEA reports, like International Energy Agency reports, and all this, they say over the majority of the technologies that we would need to basically to hit any of these targets don't exist yet. They say that in the big reports, right? And the key thing is that this stuff could quite well be possible, but just not with our current technologies. Right. This is the key thing. I mean, it's like, it, yeah, it could be possible. There's no, there's, there's, it could be possible, but it's just probably gonna take a lot more time than we think. And it's going to be more brutal than we think uh, to get there. And I think a real challenge is the narrative around climate change is pushing for as much urgency and action immediately as possible. That's part of the 
the way that it suggested that we'll be able to stop the, the changes and everything. Right. And that pushes for action now, and it's very effective and motivating, but it is a bit clashing with what is realistic. And there's real problems. I mean, the U.S. and Europe have actually reduced a lot of their carbon emissions, uh, but China has just so blown past every like right. double, you know, just, just it's like, well, what do you do, right? Even if you do the best thing it's, you, you, you could do, you're not solving the problem. But I, I think actually a deeper thing is we need a better vision of, you know, what a great future looks like, because that's a part of it, definitely. But also, like you mentioned earlier, like, how about one where we're a little bit healthier? We're not all really unhealthy, like ridiculously unhealthy. And, you know, there's a lot of things that we could be ambitious and inspiring about. And we're just we're, – we're kind of pulling ourselves into a corner and then it becomes like part of the political system right. and it becomes total just dogma and like, well, I have to say X for this group right. and I have to say Y for this group. And then you just trot out the same thing everybody says because it's just kind of herd mind. Yeah, and I guess I think that's the most disheartening thing for me and, and maybe I s- – and I see it happening more frequently or people realizing that where, you know, we're talking about, you know, green energy or, um, you know, political fairness or whatever it is like, yeah, these are, these are great things and they're great ideas. But if they're, if we can recognize that they're not feasible, like right now, just having saying, you know, Hey, we have this plan in 50 years, this is what we want to be. Well, that's great. But what about 10 years? Like, you know, and we're trying to push this 50 year deadline into 10 years. It's like, we're not, I feel like we're not looking at all the harm that all these things are causing. And it's not to say that we shouldn't pursue them, but I think what people are starting, at least what I've seen is we're starting to realize that like the kind of the facade of it all it's, and and so then it like, it it degrades the, you know, the trust and belief if you know what little was left and it's like well how are we going to get to this 50 year mark that we all agree is a really good idea but we're we're ignoring the 40 years before that and and how to actually get there instead of you know working towards all these different goals and it's like it, it just seems like chaos and it, like you, you said earlier it, it just seems like it kind of goes back to well i'm only in office for four more years like I'll let the next guy deal with it. And it's like, well, that, I feel like that's what we've been doing for the past, I don't know, 30 at least, if not more. Like well, it, the, the degradation of trust in these institutions and, uh, you know, the government structures is, I think, doing more harm than not even being able to live up to certain standards that we're trying to aim for. And I don't, it just seems like these people in these positions don't actually realize that, that, you know, by making promises that we can't keep or, you know, like you mentioned, um, you know, the United States and these other areas going green and we're doing great at, you know, reducing our carbon emissions, and all these different things. But if we're doing that for on a, for the whole world as, you know, as a baseline and as, you know, a goal, but none of the other countries are doing it. And all it's doing is just putting more pain and harm onto its own citizens. It's hard for some people to to buy into that. And it's like you, you really push people away because you're not being open and honest about, you know, the actual cost and effectiveness and the, the you know, the actual ability to to, you know, obtain these goals that we're putting out for ourselves. So it's like 
the whole thing just crumbles and then people are just like okay let it burn like whatever you know and it's like it's so disheartening to see like we can do all these great things you know because we have these opportunities in the technology and the the knowledge base and you know in this country but then it's like we we wasted on these like frivolous you know political battles i guess and these little things it's like man like we could be doing so much more like what is it going to take for us to kind of realize that as as a nation as a whole like as a people that there's there's this like there can be a center here not everything has to be red and blue not everything has to be you know black and white whatever it is it's hey why not let's come together instead of you know throwing shit at each other or you know trying to trying to prove each other wrong let's put our ideas together and work towards something more i just don't know if there's any way to to do that but it just seems like that's like where the real you know the trust gets lost and then everyone just goes, huh, screw it. Like whatever. Like, it's like, that's, where does that take us? Nowhere. Good. You know, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think, it, I mean, I agree. I think I was saying earlier, I feel like we're, this is a period when our ideals are going to not just kind of rot. I mean, not just crumble. They're going to rot. Like our ideals are rotting when we, when this happens, like, I believe this thing. And then you see it's all aligned. It just turns literally just rots in front of your eyes and you just, <laughs> yeah, it disintegrates and you're just, yeah, disheartened and just, you know, fed up with everything. I think it's a real thing that's happening. It's, you know, I think I was saying earlier, it's going to happen with green energy. It's going to happen with a lot of ideas about the, how quickly racial harmony, those sorts of goals can all happen. I think it's just, uh, unfortunately, it's what's going to happen. But I will say, like I was saying earlier, when you have real crises, <laughs> like real national global scale crises, and not like one that's a sort of permanent thing, like climate change is sort of like a, everything can be called climate change, but it's also just, you know, it's a weather event. And you, it's, we get to the point where it's like, you're called the boy you call, uh, calls you know, cries wolf. It's like, right. and like in California, it's like every single thing I read about that is a, a major weather event. It's every, the first line. It's always like climate change. It's like, okay. But I just want to – just today, I'd rather just hear what the weather is. Like right. it's just a little too much. Um, but yeah, we're going to have to find out. But the one thing I will say is like the United States, in my estimation, is is a uh, – compared to other countries, is, is a is a well-integrated country. And you really see this when there are challenges put forth, when it has to unify for a real problem, like the idea that we need a war to actually bring us together. When things like this do happen, I do think, oh, it's it's a raucous, miserable, loud, ridiculous, violent – uh, process and it often seems ridiculous, but often that the country does come together in in a very in a way. But you just need a real event. One of the U.S.'s problems is it's been just top dog, able to do whatever it wants and be ridiculous. You know, it's just it's just you know it's like a guy who is like king of the world and just decides to decides to act like a jackass character or whatever. Like you're just like all right, it doesn't matter anymore. Like I can do whatever I want. No one could stop me. No one could do anything. And you just. It kind of helps. I mean, that's a one way that kind of a lot of bonds and things will disintegrate. And a lot of the, you know, I mean, it's it is kind of crazy that a country that was able to go to the moon, uh, that the 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 goals that we set for ourselves could be pretty, pretty minimal at times. <laughs> um, so people are trying to come up with big ones, but we just gotta, you know, we're gonna. I mean, the truth is, man, we're gonna all have to start upping our game pretty soon. I mean, the, the real thing is that it's, and a lot of things are gonna be proven impossible, man. So the, the green energy stuff is a great example. We get what is it, 90% or so of our polysilicon, the stuff you use to make solar panels with, we get it all from China, right? right? And we do not have an infrastructure set up in the United States at the scale we would need 
to you know deploy and install all this stuff. So when the shit hits the fan with China, this it, it crumbles. The whole that whole industry has to reconfigure itself if it wants to function. It's gonna have much higher prices. It's gonna have to justify those prices. It's a a real change. And so I think a lot of what's happening is the politicians, I mean, there's many reasons to describe why they're doing this and they're just nefarious and they don't care and they're just short-term oriented, all this kind of stuff. And little bits of everything is true. I'm not like, not tossing it to the side. But the other thing is they just, they don't have an accurate view of the world. They don't see what's coming. You know, you think they're in these positions of power, but they actually don't have the view from 30,000 feet or a sense of history or time or where things are going. And so they're just living in a fantasy, just like the same way like some guy who's just on the internet all day long in his mom's basement is kind of maybe doing the same thing. Right. Uh, but, you know, like maybe there's a bit of similarity there. And what's going to happen is, unfortunately, th- the way that works is, you know, politicians are always concerned with their polls and what do people think. And that's what they're, they're just looking at what current people think about a current framed issue just presented in a certain way. It doesn't let you get a, a, an image of the whole. And so they, that's why we have, you know, decision making and you know governing by crisis. So unfortunately, we're only going to see how we respond when we're like, <laughs> when it's right there in front of us, right? right. So I'm presenting kind of what might happen, like what's probably likely going to happen with energy markets and stuff. And it could happen in mo- single digit months, and probably within a year. But like, that's not what the, you know, that's not what you read in the news. That's not what, you know, government official is going about his day-to-day office, you know, day-to-day life in office dealing with Ukraine. That's not what they're thinking. You know, often when you're actually in the thick of things, you it's harder to get that uh, wider perspective. I mean, that's one way that I'm not trying to defend them. But in general, I actually do think there's a low, pretty relatively low level of competence in government. Like in the last 30 years, the smart people, they experience what government is like and they get, they do their best to get out. Right. Right. They can't retain talent. Yeah. We've had that conversation uh, a handful of times here where it's like, you realize that like, so, uh, and and I don't mean to like besmirch like everyone that goes in the government by any any means, because I think we, we really need the right people to, to be in government to, for it to, you know, operate properly. But you've realized like, we've seen, you know, all these countless stories where it's like, Oh, so-and-so's kid or grandkid or nephew, this, that, like, it's just like, it seems like it's been like these, these kids that are just, they've had the money, they've gone to college and they didn't know what else to do. And it was like, well, my dad was a Senator. So we, we have some funding and I'm just, that's what I'm going to be. I'm just going to be in government and, whatever um but I, th- I think you really you hit on it and it didn't really like strike me until now a really good analogy was of um you know us being the top dog and you know it's funny you, you hear the the saying you know the view never changes if you're not the top dog well that's it's hmm. true but if you're the top dog and you you're always seeing everything from in you know rose colored glasses Cause you have the greatest view of everything and it's like, until we, you have that competition, like you talked about earlier, like without competition, like you're never improving. So you're just stagnating. And if you're just, and if you're, you just show up, you know, if you show up on the field and you're just the best player and that's just how it is, like, you're not going to get any better. You're just probably, you're probably going to get worse because you have no one pushing you. So I, I as much as it's as scary as it is, like I, and as, as ridiculous as it sounds, like I guess us as humans need that that falling of in that realization of, oh no, we're not the best anymore to to go, I guess I I guess I better clean up my act and start doing something because I've just yeah. been lazy. So I, I, maybe that's 
what we've kind of been for these past, you know, since maybe World War II, where it's just been like, hey, things are good. What do we have to worry about? We just expect it to to continue to be good. Yeah, no, there's something, there's really something to that. I mean, the U.S. is like a kind of a ridiculous nation, like what it can do and what it's accomplished and the speed and all that that has all happened. Totally unprecedented in history. It's not going to be repeated. And what do you do when you've been the largest economy in the world for what, uh, probably 100 and close to 150 years? Late 18th, 19th century? You know, all these people have tried to challenge you and none of it's world. You, you fought two wars at once on other side, you know, on both sides of Eurasia and one boat. Right. It's like it's 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 crazy. And I mean, the quite literally, the only thing that is actually motivating the United States at all is China. Right. Right now, especially the military, the people that are very competent and are like freaking out and they're looking at some things trying. You know, there there's a lot of folks in the government about China, like I said, because they're trying to motivate this stuff. But, you know, once that's gone, it's like get ready for some grand American navel gazing, you know, like just like because I want to say that, like, I think. The truth is we're actually well positioned to survive a lot of these problems that are going on in the world, right? We have energy, domestic energy resources in you know, the shale revolution really set things off. We have oil and natural gas here so we can function. We also like, like I, I live in Los Angeles and this, this is one of, this is probably the only city, major city on earth that actually could run on solar energy because the Mojave desert, which is one of the most, it's right next door. That entire, I mean, actually I, I was driving through there recently and I saw like farms there. I'm just like, no, no, you should, you should be a solar panel. There's no water here. Like there's no reason to pipe you some water. Just use the sun. Right. Um, so this could work. And you know, there's a couple places in the Southwest that could have it. The U.S. could work. You know, the agriculture is here, the industry. Uh, we've talked about population. You can, if we can politically uh, find a way to do it and we could increase the population from everyone in the rest of the world that's desperate to get in the United States, it causes political tensions within the country. So you have to manage that if you're a politician or if you're, you wanted to do it, but you can grow the population to grow your consumer. You can do all these things in the United States. It's, it's pretty amazing. But again, when you have all these opportunities and all this, it's almost like you just don't care. You know, it's like, you know, it's like you're the, you, I don't know, you're in high school and you, you know, you make varsity team and you're football and it's like the first year, you know, do that in the second year. And then you're just like chilling, feeling like you're the king of school for years. Like, what do you care? Like who, some freshman, I don't care. Like, whatever. Like, you don't matter. What do you have to work for? What do you have to do? Right. And I think we have a lot of that too. Right. And I, I guess too, I get, is there any, is there any situation where, um, the D the, where we could decouple from China on ha! a pretty grand scale and actually for have it work. Cause I had the conversation with somebody the other day and I, I said this and then after I said it and I was like, I kind of like, that's, that's more my opinion. Cause I'm not really not a professional on this at all, but maybe you can straighten me out here, but it feels like it, kind of in a sense that China, China's almost like, um, look like we don't actually necessarily need the United States as much as the United States needs us as far as, uh, you know, what we put out in products and whatnot. And it's cause I, I guess what, what the, the conversation was, the impetus was that uh, we were talking about um, some stuff around like the NBA uh, and like Disney and some of the, like the entertainment industry that, uh, that obviously we make a lot of money off of China in that regard from, you know, our products to them, but we, it, we kind of curtail and we, or we kind of um, censor some of the things that, that we have in that country because of their desires and what they don't want to show and different things like that. So it's like it, in my first initial thought was like, well, like we buy like so much of our products 
from them. But like, what is China buy from us? You know, besides the NBA and entertainment, <laughs> like they don't necessarily need that. But like, if we're going to sell it to them, that's like, well, that's like that would take a giant chunk of our, you know, our financial industry, I guess, a, out of the picture. Where we're like, hey, but we need like medicine and toilet paper. So can you help us out guys? Like, you know, I guess maybe how far off is that and how much of a connection is there between the things that our country actually needs to run that, that China kind of provides and, you know, maybe just some of the bullshit that the entertainment like industry that we sell them, like how much is that like intertwined and is. Yeah. So China, that's always the question is like, are we more dependent on them or are they more dependent on us? And we, in the US, we always focus on manufactured goods where it's like, what are the, they get, they send a lot of that to us. We don't send as much to them, but there's a lot of other ways to kind of look at this. And uh, one key one is getting down to food. I know people were always saying like, well, we're just going to sell them soybeans and they're going to sell us computers. Like who's, who's really running the show here? Uh, but the reason we sell them soybeans is because they don't have enough land to actually feed their own uh, animals. So if we if they don't get soybeans from us and from Brazil and a couple other places, uh, they can't eat meat. Like the population doesn't get to eat meat. They have to eat they rice. they can't raise it. They don't have enough land. It takes, so think about it. You have to, if you, you want to you know, eat a cow, you know, eat cow, you want to eat beef, you have to raise the cow and the cow has to eat fodder. It has to eat grass, you know, the whole time. So you need, so you, it's actually like usually 10x. You need like, you know, if you want a uh, hundred pounds of uh, beef, you're gonna need you're gonna need another you're gonna need another 10x that in the the food you have to give it. So you need a lot of land. You need like just to get some meat. It's, this is a big reason why a lot of people are saying we should eat less meat globally, because it's not because of like a vegan thing and like animals. It's like the amount of land area required for meat consumption is so. And even when I was in China, I, I, you know, it's actually studying agriculture in China. <laughs> and I was, uh, I was there and we, I got this university lecture and it was actually very interesting, but it was really one of the more sobering events. And when I was in China, I was like, they showed me all these maps of where food production is in China, what they grow and how it's changed, how it's gotten better, blah, blah, blah. And then they were basically saying that the, it was 2012-ish. They were saying, yeah, there is not enough. We, we cannot have a, a Western diet. There's the, the, every single person in China cannot eat like an average American it, it, ever. The <laughs> like that was in China. Yeah, the just resources just aren't there. And you start whenever you get to a China scale thing, it's always like, well, let's. What about the entire world <laughs> export market? And you start to go, nope, even that isn't enough. Like you'd have right. to monopolize everything. So I, I bring up the agriculture because it's it's important. Like the the basis of everything is agriculture. And China is actually probably looking at it, very likely could be seeing a famine next year. Right. You're already having weird, horrible problems in Shanghai for a separate reason, but they have a, a pig problem. They have some good, you know. I don't need to get into that. There's agriculture stuff's a real thing in China. They actually have quotas where you basically, in a farmer in China, you don't get to like, you know, grow whatever you want that makes you the most money. There's a, they have quotas of how much grain they want you to grow mm. because they're still worried that if they, they want to at least be able to control some basic minimum amount of calories that their population could consume because they know that if they don't get enough food, they could have a whole destabilizing thing. So that's important. But even more importantly is that the US more generally is the consumer base for Chinese goods. Right. China's internal market isn't you know, crazy as it is. It's so big. It's not nearly as large as the U.S. Uh, consumer market, which is like equivalent of I think of the next six countries combined, mm-hmm. right? So it's basically like the, how much money do you have to spend on random stuff that you want to buy off Amazon <laughs> when you when, when you take away all your taxes and all yeah. of your bills for the month? 
That, that's the idea. And, and that's, and it's, it's big. And that's what actually allows China to have all that manufacturing. So China has about a third of global manufacturing is currently done in China or it's assembled there, but it only has about 11% of global consumers. So it's on a, just at a basic uh, rough estimation, it has a industrial plant three times larger than what it could sustain itself. So if you, if it lost access to the U S uh, it would not, it would have to radically end all sorts of production. It would have to end plant, close plants. It, like it wouldn't, it, there would be nowhere to go with all these goods. You get what I'm saying? Right. So there's a symbiotic relationship between yeah. um, the kind of the, the end user, which would be us and the products they're creating. So if we're not, if we were no longer to consume their products, then there's no way for them to, you know, build the, I guess, financial status to be able to continue to feed the population. In a sense. Yeah, I mean, no, long, long story or, short, <laughs> or even, or even to, even to be able to keep uh, building those goods. Like, yeah, even even to feed their population. But if they don't have this, like, so the big thing is we have options. They don't. They there's no one that can replace the U.S. consumer market. There's no country. There's no set of countries that is as large. I mean, it's obvious. Like, you're like, we I think Germany consumers. has some other problems. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, we're yeah, seriously, and. So we have options and we can move, you know, production that is in China can move to Vietnam. It can move particularly to Mexico, it can move to Colombia. It can move to all sorts of places. Not actually that many places, but about a good number of places. They, they don't have a consumer base to replace. Their idea was actually the Chinese uh, dream was to self uh, develop enough where you could internally self generate your own uh, consumption base the way the U.S. does. Mm. They didn't get there though. You know, they have a billion too many people to, to make that work. And they've stagnated and now they're sort of at the, the tail end of where their system can take them. And you're seeing all these crazy, you know, blow-ups in property sector, you know, tech sector, all sorts of places where they were they pushed it way too far and the consumer base wasn't what they expected, and now it's all radically shrinking. Right. That's uh, part of what's going on there. Um but well, I'll say one thing that just cause to get back to what you were saying, that core question of like, so who needs who more? Uh, they need us more. But the big problem for us is that we are trying to pretend like this relationship is going to go on beautifully forever. We're basically like Germany uh, and Russia with gas. You know what right, I mean? Right. Yeah, we're absolutely. mocking them. We're, we're mocking them. But like, you know, Apple's like, oh, pff, we're just going to keep manufacturing everything in China. Like, there's no way that would be a problem. Like, <laughs> it's just like people kind of need to wake up. But it's business. Again, they're, it's seductive. They have cheap Cheap, cheap, cheap. Oh, well, actually, it's actually much more expensive now. It's actually with advanced technology, you can do almost everything in you could do in China really cheaply. That was really, really che way cheaper in the '90s when it was less uh, automated. You could right. do in the United States um, now for you know equivalent or even slightly cheaper. You just have to use more technology. So a lot of stuff will move back to the, the U.S. But the real problem is that it's no longer. Manufacturing is no longer labor intensive the way it was. So you're not going to need as many workers anymore. So it's not going to give us the broad-based manufacturing sort of job thing that we had in the 60s. It's going to be like one dude overseeing like 30 robots. <laughs> right. But I guess at, at the same time, it might be beneficial if we can bring some of that back to you know our own borders. Um, it's happening. It's, it's, it's interesting because you mentioned that because it's like, well, um, just being very general, like looking at, you know, being able to create a product like China does for the consumer, that's us and what that really means. But like they have so many people that and the land bringing, that's what's so fascinating about having these conversations with you is um, seeing it kind of all connect 
because it's like you realize, well, China is in this situation that they need our consumerism because they don't like we they need those trade routes and they need that kind of at least a little bit of um you know globalization to kind of support their citizen base because it's like look we have too many people that we can't take care of because we don't have the land to be able to live off of it so we have to create these cheap products to be able to sell in order to in a sense kind of feed our own country and it's like you realize that it's a precarious balance there of you know trying to hold that up and and then especially when you're looking at two different you know entities with such different you know ideals and ideologies and beliefs and all these things it's like you realize that that balance of trying to and then obviously you have people in the u.s there that have businesses in china it's like that they're making a lot of money from so it's like i gotta play nice with you know their culture and all these different things it's like you realize yep. how um just unstable it really all yeah. is it yeah it's like it's this constant like balance because in, in even going back to real quick too i like i said we've mentioned it in the prior podcast and whatnot and but if you don't understand like that was it you know when you look at the food and supplies that people need just to survive they're looking at what needing 5x what we would just on the uh, as a base level because they have roughly five times the population that right that's not about that's so like four and five yeah closer yeah like what does that mean for like everything else that happens there like if if their country is only like if the land just specifically the land is only able to provide you know say three quarters of what the united states is just physical land agricultural um you know uh materials and you know those things like if you're not able to produce as much raw material the land you live on but you have you know five times the amount of people to take care of it's like you realize how how dangerous that could be and it's like okay now it makes sense why maybe china's not quite as big and bad and you know scary as we you know kind of are led to believe there's like never been a, a country as large that is as dependent on the rest of the world or other countries to stabilize and secure its own future like all the basic stuff china doesn't just need like the stuff from us they need minerals and materials and goods and things from all over the world. Remember, five, you know, four, five x of what we need. You know, they have to get it all. They don't have all the resources in their country. So, a big reason, the two kind of two, two of the big reasons that they need the United States and why they're kind of more dependent on us is one is consumerism. Like you said, we're the big consumer country in the world. The way we set up the world after the 1990 across the second half of the 20th century is we created production and consumption nodes all around the world. We could sort of split it. You had chip, you had cheap um, shipping and manufacturing and stuff, so you could you could have those really cheap long supply lanes, and you could have a country like China that doesn't consume much, uh, or Russia that doesn't consume much, and they could both produce inputs and outputs that you need in other places, and all sorts of other countries around the world did that, and it wasn't a colonial system, which used to be inside of one, you know, all that used to be happening once inside of one colonial system, you could have it everywhere. That's a good thing uh, for a lot of the world in this time, but what happened is that the you know the consumerism, the consumer base. This is the result of the the demographic stuff that we were talking about. When we're talking about all these uh, population structures are inverting. You can have more old people than young people. Right. That's a big problem. What that's also doing is destroying the consumer base of all these other countries all around the world. The German consumer base dying, British dying, Italian dead, Spanish dead, French will actually be okay. Like 
they're actually disappearing. So the potential consumers for all the stuff that China builds outside of the United States, they're all on the down swing. Do you know what I mean? They're, right. they're literally running out of people to sell to. So they need, they actually need the U S even so more. So our bonds even getting stronger as weird. As yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as we pretend that it's not. Yeah, no. So it's, it's a real, it's a real thing. I mean, the China, I mean, at this point I've been saying a lot of podcasts like China, China is two, you know, it's two states in history. It has a you know, super ordered, semi-tyrannical or more fully tyrannical type state. And then it has pretty like absolute chaos, like a, a something like the chaos that you can't imagine in the United States. Like we think, oh my God, things are so hectic here. <laughs> you know, it's like, right. no, dude, how about like, like, you know, for example, I probably told you guys this before, but the, you know, before the 20th century, the two deadliest wars in human history were both Chinese civil wars. And if you had a real you know, situation of real state breakdown, a real state breakdown in China, uh, you'd easily see a war that would dwarf, you could easily see a, a casual, a death toll that could dwarf World War II. Um, I want to touch on that. Um, but do you mind if we take like a just a couple minute break? Uh, how long? No, that's perfect. I'm gonna turn on. No, I'm gonna turn on the light, and then I'm probably gonna grab a bit of food. Yeah, but let's let's do that. Okay. You want? How, do you want yeah, to give me like time. 10, 15 minutes to get? I don't know how long how long you can go or what. No, let's just keep going. I'm enjoying this, man. I haven't done this in a while. I feel like we could talk about. I don't get it. Like I was really saying, man. I don't get to talk. Um, go more in depth about things. So I'm I'm loving this. Let's do it. You know, until we're feeling like we're dead or whatever. All right. Okay. Can't get too crazy. It's it's ten fifteen over here right now. So. Right. I always appreciate you guys. Are uh, you this time just? Yeah, I was uh, staying out. Yeah, Tony. Tony staying apologized up. that he couldn't make it. He had a bunch of stuff going on, and it's been crazy. But I know I always know. Uh, I really enjoy these conversations with you, and just the perspective, I guess that I that I that I get from you. It's it's really interesting, and I uh, I think it really adds to what we're trying to do as a show. Um, is kind of looking at things um not always from 30,000 feet <laughs> it's exhausting not, you don't want to do that all the time yeah or, and, but also not always from one inch away to be able to kind right. of you know have that in flux and uh you know be able to reach different people and yeah definitely and and be able to i i guess the the biggest thing is i i, I would love to i I really enjoy facilitating other people's curiosity because it's one of those things like, I don't know if nearly as many people enjoy it as much as I do, but like for me, it's like one of those things where like, I guess maybe, maybe this is what it is sometimes is it's like, um, you know, the joke about like, someone's like, Oh, you gotta, you got, you gotta watch this video. It's like, it's, it's, it's so funny. You have to watch this video. And then like, they like give you their phone and you're like, why? I don't, I don't feel comfortable holding your phone right now. And it's like, like, no, you just got to watch it and you're watching it. And it's like, it doesn't turn out to be nearly as funny as you think it is. And it's like, this is uncomfortable. Um, but I hope like my aim is my curiosity can, um, can strike people. I'm okay with making people feel uncomfortable. Guess what? You don't have to listen to the show. You know, but I really enjoy it. So I'm just out there just showing my phone to everybody is kind of the, the idea of the show. And every once in a while, if, if somebody like, if I hit somebody and it really like connects with them, it's to me, like, that's it's the coolest thing. Cause I understand how that feels when you like something clicks in your head and you go, Oh, like, this is, this is awesome. 
and I want to do that across, you know, all types of spectrums. Um, it was funny. We just yeah. did an episode that was just kind of the people that normally just on the show. And um, I, I started talking about the James Webb telescope. I'm not, not sure if you're familiar with that. I, and it's like, and I was watching this video about it and what it's going to do and all these different things. And it, uh, it got to one part where it was like a thin, they talk about the, like the sensor for the infrared light is like this super in, incredibly like uncomprehensible number, like thin, this coating on this thing that, and it's gold. And it was just like all the advances we've made and gold is still the best thing we can, we have to like, see the, like the outer reaches of space. And I was like, and I, I like go back Tepe and like all these in the younger driest <laughs> impact theory and all these things. And it's like, <laughs> man, like these are, and, and like we're thinking like throughout like civilization, like we're, we're wearing gold around our necks where, you know, they're lining these sarcophaguses, sarcophagi. We, we talked about that too. I wasn't sure. Apparently you can say both. I don't I know. Really? That. Yeah. Sarcophaguses and sarcophagi are both apparently correct. So that means no one knows what the fuck they're talking about, yeah, um, right. <laughs> but it's like, those are lined in gold and it's like, why gold? Like it's, it's besides the shiny. From, yeah. From, but yeah, it's like everything can be shiny, but besides from it's a true. technological aspect, like that's still, there's nothing that beats gold in some technological aspects. So maybe nature yeah. was onto something or <laughs> we don't even know what we like about it, but we like it. Yeah. And it works or, for space. <laughs> or it was passed down because we almost got exterminated during the last mm. ice age. And that technology was known before then. And it, that was just like how they were able to like slip it through. Like guys, you, this is important. Like don't lose gold. Don't I lose know. gold. I don't know. Yeah. But, I really like that. I mean, I, I actually wrote a big article about uh, China and space and I, I published it a while ago and it was like, while that was uh, happening, they were putting out that telescope and it's just about how, you know, it was China going to go take over the universe. Basically <laughs> people are always worried about it. It's like, no. Um, but I was just, I was, I thought that, I mean, I'm such a big fan of like exploring space. Uh, I think it's like a, probably a good thing. You know, it wouldn't be bad to spend less than 1% of our money on that. Yeah. It seems like all humans forever have wanted to do that. And we can like, yeah, why not? We might find something that gives us fusion power. <laughs> yeah. Full circle. And, you know what I mean? Something. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, I mean, just the way they had to like origami that whole thing in and like mm -hmm. do it all out. They had yeah. apparently like a full model, like in there in Northrop Grumman somewhere where they're just like, all right, before we do anything on the real thing, we're going to do it on the yeah. one in the in the office first. Yeah. And it was Pretty funny because we watched, we watched a short video during the show and we had it like posted. So people like anyone was watching the show could see it. Um, oh, nice. and it was, um, it was funny that Cass who runs all of our electronic stuff and whatnot. Um, typically she's not here tonight either. Um, cause I have to kind of do things different, but, um, she was like, well, what happens if they get that thing all the way out there? And it's like, cause a million miles away and it takes, was it like, like three months for the pictures to get back. They're like, Hey, this summer in 2022, you should be seeing some pictures from this thing. She's like, what happens no if, it's, if it's blurry? Yeah. And like they can't fix it. I'm like, 
people lose their jobs. Yeah, like, that's, a, it's yeah like, that's a possibility, but I guess that's why they get paid the big bucks, you know? Yeah, it, it looks like it's really going to work, though. It's going to last. I mean, I remember I was following this like um, for a while, and I was like, okay, it's out there. All right, it's deployed. Like we avoided the whole thing. It worked out. Yeah. And then they have like enough fuel to last for like 10 extra years yeah. or something. I heard that. Yeah. I was like, yeah. So cool. Yeah, so I'm super excited. I needed that. I need. I always need that little boost of like – good good yeah. news in yeah. the modern world like in the moment right now it's just it yeah. feels really good plus one for the humans <laughs> yeah right? i don't no. know which i don't know which side is uh is stronger it, or has more marks in it the positives are negative sometimes but you know what we're just keep on trying to add the positives to it and yeah exactly let's, let's just keep adding the positives and not like yeah yeah it is what focusing it is. too much yeah i'll let somebody yeah. else focus on the negatives <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be keep a, adding, a, a stacking partaker. the W's. Got to yeah. keep stacking those W's. Forget about everything else for the moment. If that's right. I get that. God. Yeah. Um, I, I have, I actually have some things I actually wanted to ask you about that too, but we can get to that if we get, if we get to it. Um, but I do, I, I've been wanting to literally the impetus of this whole thing was two weeks. It was, I think it was like two weeks after we talked and this is kind of where we left off before the break. Um, was real estate and that whole Evergrande group debacle kind of started. And it was like, yeah. shit, like, man, if you, if you just waited, like this would have been a really <laughs> interesting topic. But like, so I saw an influx of news stories and things. And I guess it, I'll try to, you know, brief it up real quick for everybody. But it was, uh, it's like the second largest real estate kind of, I hate to use the word company because company is a weird thing in China, you know, government company, organization, organization, organization. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah. So like, it's like one of the second largest org real estate organizations in China. And they're like doing all this developing, but then like developing of homes and apartment buildings. And then like they got in this weird financial spot where like they basically couldn't pay their bills because no one's like moving into their properties and, but they created just massive, massive, like, I, I don't know if this is true. Maybe you can school me on this. But I saw a couple of pictures where they claimed it was like these, I mean, big, like you're talking like 10 plus skyscraper residential buildings in multiple areas like that. that were just completely empty and no one was buying them because the real estate market was like at one point, the only place that, the Chinese could, you know, kind of keep yeah. the money that it didn't just didn't destroy. Like it just didn't still dissipate. true in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, not much different than here, honestly, there's only mm -hmm. a couple places. Um, but then like they were going to default and this was going to cause this giant, you know, investment, real estate, financial catastrophe. And then I want to say a wave of COVID or the Russia thing happened and everybody forgot about it. And I'm standing here going, wait a minute, what's going on? What's going yeah. on? Are they going to go under? What was, what the heck is happening? So like, I think that's kind of where we left off. You mentioned real estate. I'm, I, I didn't know if that's where you were going with it, but it seemed fit. Yeah. Evergrande, man. I did a, I remember doing a video on it and I was like really long and it got cut off at the end. I was very frustrated about it, but the gist of it is like, this is the start of the breakdown of the whole Chinese property sector. And it's a, it's a, it's an absolute beast. I mean, you know, you think, oh, China's so advanced, blah, 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 blah. Uh, at least, you know, around a third of its GDP, 30%-ish, is just 
construction and real estate and development. It's That's like, like mafia. It, <laughs> it's it's huge, man. I mean, it's it's so it's so big. The this this is one of the things like you have to go to China to really like you you just won't believe it when you're on a train and you'll see like apartment tower forests like as far as the eye can see. You're not even in a city. You're you're not even in a city. You're along the track <laughs> going to the city and you're seeing all this. It's That's bananas. Wild. It is probably, I mean, it's at least a 55, $60 trillion bubble probably at this point. And it is, 60 I mean, it's probably, it's pro 60 trillion? At least, at least 50. Yeah, it's probably getting towards 60 now. I think that's more than what our national debt is. I never knew a it number is, existed it is that probably, was higher. It is probably the largest uh, speculative asset bubble in history. Oh, it is wow. insane. I mean, just think about it. You have, and there's so many things that go into this. So first of all, it's, like, if you're a rich person in China, this is not a housing market. Like, people in China are on their second, third, fourth homes. A quarter of the homes are empty. This is all about like, the lack of investment options in China. Can't send your money elsewhere. The the stock market's a casino. You so you pump it Bitcoin. all into real estate. You can't do it Bitcoin either because they outlaw can't do that. Crypto. You, you can't do anything. And so for years, it's just been, it's just been um, real estate. And it, it, there's this whole nexus between the Chinese central government and the Chinese uh, provincial governments and developers and the Chinese uh, you know, homeowners and you know, buyers, basically they're all in they're all in bed together. The basically the central government wants high growth. <laughs> the best way to juice the growth really quickly is just to build a bunch of stuff, keep people employed, right. and then so the the the, lo the local governments do that, and then they they basically sell all this really cheap land. They have all these backroom deals with all these developers. They get all this stuff. They start building it up. Developers don't care about any individual property. It's usually garbage. It's not built to last. It's like right. terrible. It, like you, you buy like an average apartment in China. Also, you know, people talking about this real estate bubble. It's like these are not, <laughs> these are not amazing properties, right? We're talking like a four or five hundred square foot apartment Oof. that comes without faucets. That is in a, a unit that is in identical unit in an identical tower surrounded by other identical towers. I mean, this is this is about th this is a throughput. This is about producing as much of again it, it's again juicing these numbers often and it's about producing as much as possible so china the chinese central government created these developers right like the incentive systems it created allowed an evergrand to, to form and, and they never and saw this like they never were like you know this probably oh they, isn't a they've known for at least 10 years man but they just can't stop themselves they can't every time they try and pull back a little bit Things get shaky and they're like, no, 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 we want high growth again. So they 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 tamp back. And that's what's happened. I mean, so the reason we got this Evergrande thing is they put in new credit limits and you can't have this much debt, you can't do that. And suddenly the market freaked out a little bit. Evergrande couldn't pay a bunch of its debts, and then we got in this situation. And I'm minimizing and really simplifying it, but that's what happened. And then they're still they're still like, well, we can't really let this fall because it's they they they've kicked the can down the road so long. For so long you and for so far, kicking. you have a $50 trillion <laughs> snowball bubble behind you. There is no answer for this. There's no answer. Also, here's the even worse thing. Demography. We've been talking about this a lot this time. The Chinese population is often said to be, I think, 1.4 trillion, uh, trillion, 1.4 billion people. And that is a lie. That is a lie that is uh, basically it's stated, it's propped up primarily by the Communist Party at this point. But <laughs> it's just well you ask a simple question like hey a country that can only have one child per person for a long time now 40 years how exactly did you manage to get a larger population the last year anyway it, it's, it's a fraud and basically they have probably 150 million less people than they are saying that's still and, a lot of people 
Oh, it's still a lot. It's closer. <laughs> but it's really important because think about it. You're suddenly a developer and you're building all your models based on 150 million yeah, more I guess people. 150, <laughs> that's, that's half of the United States. And, and also those are younger people too. That's so that insane. like, yeah. it's because it's like you say you have more new people because what they're doing is they're, they're artificially improving the look of their population structure. Right. right. So someone like me is looking at it like, oh, how many people? And it's like, it's, this is what Russia does. You're looking at it and you're like, that's artificially smooth right there, that curve. It sounds like the statistics department has been, oh, the statistics right. department has been involved. You know what I mean? Right. Like you, th that's what they do in these sorts of countries. And so that's what's happening there. And they're hiding. So they're also hiding that there's probably way more women uh, than men than we thought. Like historically, we've thought that there's maybe 40 million more men than women in, in China, right? You've probably heard about this. These are guys that structurally there's a bias against uh, for men and against women. So uh, Chinese families will, you know, ab abort the, the girl basically. Right. Uh, and that's been going on. That's a long, long, long thing in China. And which also, if they're trying to, if they're trying to grow their numbers, that seems kind of counterproductive, right? Yeah. I that mean, one is, that one isn't a central government I mean, thing. That I mean, is a people. That is a Chinese like individual person thing. Really? That's not a oh. government thing. That um, is it's rooted in agriculture, man. It's a uh, back in the day. I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but back in the day, the the man would help. Uh, the, the son would help. Well, would inherit the farm. It would, it would do all the work. He would help his parents. Blah blah blah. Meanwhile, the girl, you basically have to pay to send her somewhere else. It, and then now it's a lot in a world where you don't have a social security net and you don't have a large family. Often the daughter has to, you know. Be help with their parents. I mean, there's all these things where there's just been this structural bias against girls for a long time. I have friends uh, from growing up. They, one girl in particular that comes to mind, she was, you know, adopted by a family in in Los Angeles because she was, you know, founded a dumpster basically in China. Yeah, I guess when when your whole society and structure of that is built around commerce, and uh, particularly either physically hard labor or mm -hmm. dangerous labor like well i mean historically those are those are jobs that are done by males so it's like you're trying to fill that quota in a sense it's like man like i never thought about that either i'm i so short side story i um i worked with this uh gentleman who um did some manufacturing work in, mm -hmm. in china and he was a uh basically like a basically a a mechanic engineer for these certain machines that were bought from this certain country. I, I want to say they were made in Germany. He, he was, he was a German fellow. He said, he went over there and um, he was helping them like troubleshoot this, you know, big giant uh, press and they right. need a ladder. So like, they're like, well, I need a ladder. So they brought the ladder and he's telling me this person is like, me. he's like, I couldn't believe this shit. He's like, it was a bamboo ladder, which I mean, they do some incredible things, you know, with, with bamboo, but he said, for sure it was, he said, this guy's climbing it and something happened where, uh, he had fallen off and it was like a 20 foot fall and like, he couldn't move. Like it looked like he had broken <laughs> some bones and he's like, Oh my, like, he's like, what can we do? And like, all of a sudden, like these two guys came in with a stretcher, rolled them onto it picked him up and just, and this isn't like a factory. It's not like paramedics. Like just walked him out. And then, um, he's like, well, what the hell? So like a couple of days later, he had asked like the supervisor and he's like, Hey, uh, you know, the, the gentleman that was helping me the other day, um, you know, is he okay? And he was like, Oh, don't worry about him. We have more men. And he's like, well, well, no, I, I like, but is he physically, like, is he all right? He seemed like he was really hurt. 
you know, is he all right? He's like, we have more men. <laughs> and that was it. And I was like, holy shit. So like trying to like put all of those pieces of that puzzle together and like realizing like this is an entirely different like frame of mind than what oh, yeah. we can even consider. Human life and isn't valued the same way in China that it was that it has been here. And also back in the day, you're a country with really bad land. Like I've said, when you have really bad land, you don't get a lot of capital. You don't have a lot of like money floating around. So the whole brutal crushing burden of everything falls on the worker. And one thing China does have is a lot of people. Right. So the people are just sent by the government to do everything. Build this wall, build this bridge. All right, you fell off, tossed you under the bridge and just put you in the mortar. Next, go on. You know, th this is what it is. So, I mean, that's that's a big reason why you want a large population. But when you have a problem where you don't have, we have too many men, you have a surplus. It's like, what do a bunch of guys who have nothing to do do? I mean, this is why they keep them employed. Man. Yeah, it's like they go, you know, they start, you know, start a fire, start, you know, get into a mob, start walking down the street, create a revolution. You know, I mean, this is not what the Communist Party wants to see. So it's a big problem. But uh, getting back to the other thing, they could easily have, you know, close to 100 million more men than women if the honest numbers were were put in. Because again, you, you you redo it, there's less people, there's more women, there's less, it's just like, right. I mean, there's less men, less women, more men, real bad. Uh, and that is, uh, that's what's happening. But the, what was it? I was talking originally about the uh, demographics in China uh, to talk about the the changed labor structure. I can't remember why we were, we had gotten on that. We were talking about um, well, Evergrande, the real estate issues and all of the. Oh, yeah. And so that's what I was saying. The, the, the Evergrande, the, they had, um, yeah, so you have structurally way less people and the younger ones are gone. So all those young consumers who wanted homes that was part of your models, they're not there. And so what's happened is just, it's purely a speculative asset at this point. You know, they're parking their money in real estate because they're the government, the people are daring the government to let prices fall. Daring them because they know how bad it is, how important it is. It would be too destabilizing. So it's like a game of chicken where the government and the people are just like running out like, you know, and it's it's a bad thing. It sounds like a But it's going to collapse. Bomb. It's a ticking time bomb. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of the major things that, that, that could knock China off. Energy prices, um, agriculture problems, uh, real, real manufacturing challenges like they're having with the COVID, endless lockdowns. I mean, that's COVID not, just – And that missing. sounds real like it's getting real weird over there. With the, have you heard the stuff about Shanghai? Uh, I've I've heard a handful of things, but like, I just don't know. Like it's that's a crazy thing when someone's like, "Hey, did you hear about this?" So it's like, "Well, you're gonna have to be more specific because <laughs> shit's getting wild." <laughs> like, yeah, no, it's just I mean, there's Shanghai's unlocked, I and mean, starting in Beijing now too. I mean, the, the overall structure pattern here is they don't have vaccines that work. The government is wedded to a zero COVID, uh, basically case policy. Their legitimacy of the Communist Party is at stake, and so the only answer when you don't have a long-term solution of vaccines. It's basically endless rolling lockdowns forever. And it doesn't seem like that works. Like, I guess what's their, no, it what's their thought on that? Because like, if they don't care about human life, like we just kind of talked about um, in mm -hmm. a sense that not, in the, you know, in a general, just generalizing, like they have a, a lower level of, of human life care. Um, like are, and if they don't have to necessarily truthfully report, at what goes on over there because everybody knows they don't. I mean, we've haven't even gotten into the, the Uyghur people, I, which I still don't know what's true or not with all everything going on there. But like, so like, why do they, why are they imposing these things? Like, is it, 
like what's the motivation there if they could just not say anything at all let their people go about what they do and if they and they're dead they just throw in a hole and forget about them and they don't care about that like what's what's the motivation for these strict lockdowns and all these things i don't i, I guess i don't i can't quite reconcile that the the major the pri this almost the singular motivation for everything china is doing right now is to keep china in one piece and there's no great ways to do it but if you know they're worried for the covid thing they stake their legitimacy on being like we're the best uh, public health nation you know we don't allow covid we beat covid in the west failed again this doesn't sound like much but they're running out of economic growth that was what the communist party based its whole legitimacy on it's like well you don't have rights you don't have this you don't have any of that stuff but look at all look at what we've delivered look at all the goods we've given you right. over the last you know decades and, hey it's like you built a modern civilization it's in a lot of ways it's very impressive but what do you do in that phase this is the question and they they're running around trying to figure out what to do because what's really happening is destabilizing problems are flaring up everywhere in china right you have manufacturing i mean we have a uh, the real estate stuff that we've been talking about there's also a lot of heavy industry problems where all the you don't need any more bridges china you don't need any more skyscrapers like this is all part of the same thing it's like can't build your way out of this one you're yeah and then you there's they have a looming um agriculture problem because of the something with the pig I mean, with their their pig um, populations, and there's huge problems. Like they're they're they had to kill a bunch of them. It's a very difficult situation on that, and all this stuff is spiraling. And you also have real global geopolitical challenges, right? The U.S. is aiming, you know, ganging up against you, basically from their perspective. You know, the the alliance, every Russia has been you know, completely knocked out of the system. You've now seen. I mean, China's now seen what will happen if they do something against Taiwan, right? Most likely, I mean, obviously, yeah, you know, a real thing. Weird things have happened. It seems like in the news that like that's they're still testing the waters and all that. And um, I'm sorry to interrupt. Like testing the airspace a lot. Yeah, just like, like they're, they're, they're yeah, just like the just the the I guess the in general the Taiwan waters yeah. of like, oh, who's going to care about this? Like, it feels like they're oh, poking yeah. the bear. But like, also, I sorry to interrupt you, but like, it these things you're saying, like, I I kind of have a cursory like knowledge of them but it's only from my assumptions from the things that i see and talking to you honestly mm -hmm. but like so where are you getting like because it seems like there's so many things that like don't like get out of china it on yeah. the, the news level so like how how are you getting like because it's some of this information that you have these in-depth like you know understandings of these things when like because i feel like i'm pretty adept at trying to find certain things and more than the average person because I do this, but like, how are you like hearing these things and knowing that it's, you know, it's not just propaganda and fake news <laughs> or using the words. Like, well, a lot of things are propaganda and fake news. Definitely. <laughs> um, you just, I mean, you, you, you learn enough, you've been doing it long enough. You've been seeing how they describe and talk about different things and you get a, a quick instinctive feel of like, ah, I don't know about that. <laughs> Uh, and then you, you dig a bit more, you know, you, you know where to look and that's a lot of what it is. But I mean, the bigger challenge right now with China stuff is basically once COVID started, the information with everything shut, like constricted, right? They were like, oh God, we're kicking out journalists. We're doing all this stuff. There's right. real problems. It, it's very tough. So, so you, you have need a lot to of have history there that, for understanding that you've had before that, that you need, you need, people aren't seeing now. you need like the, you need an analytical framework that lets you kind of see what's going on. That That's the key thing. Like that, like I have a thing where I can put 
a model where I can fit things into it. Like I, I, something comes in, I just I don't see the news. I think, oh, you know, why is that being written? From who? For what audience? What reason? That's kind of what we. That's where we need. Eventually, you can get to if you know if you could see what's behind the headlines, what might be motivating it. So that makes and you know the different sources. Like there's there's a tab. There's sort of like not to cut you off, but there's a nationalist rags in China. There's sort of these tech rags, and you can see like in China, there's much more state control of information. So you can see in an article, it's like, oh, that looks very normal. Then it's like, wait, what is this weird CCP propaganda you were forced to put in at the end? You know what I mean? Like, like it okay. gets pretty clear. Yeah, that uh, make, that makes a lot of sense because I because it was like me and like because I've only been trying to like understand these things for the last couple of years. Like I've talked told you about before and it was like like how how does anybody make heads or tails of this if we know that everything that comes out of china is crap like especially now like how does anybody make heads or tails of this stuff and then i guess i didn't it's it's kind of like um i understand it now we're like i i watch you know whether it's it's cnn or fox or msnbc or uh whatever super right wing, whatever it is, like mm-hmm. you kind of see the lens through what they're saying because of you followed it for long enough. But I, I guess I never put the piece together. Um, and it's kind of fascinating thinking about because I've, I, I didn't look at this stuff pre COVID and pre COVID right. it would have been an entirely different story. So like, it's fascinating to, to know, like see how these things like this, this demarcation is when things just, completely changed so all the perceptions after this thing are different unless you're able to see them through that lens yeah definitely and like the longer you kind of been looking the more you see like oh they were really into they're you know spouting out about this thing then and then they started doing this and then they pulled back and then they just like oh well what's the pattern here <laughs> right what's the underlying thing and for, for china in particular once you got you know i have a deep sense of it you know how it's developed forever and then like specifically since the 1970s so you can see what they had to do and there's a lot of things that are objective right it's like well um you know what is energy cost in china right now you know what is there's a lot of things there's a lot of things that don't have to necessarily be um people's uh, statements of things uh and then even and then a lot of metrics there's also it's like well <laughs> that one's always fudged <laughs> so, so like what's the you know it's like it's fudged but it's also still decreasing that's weird you know it's still lower than it was it's like still probably not true so it gives you an idea a lot of stuff happening so, yeah I, but in general i think the bigger thing is that we've all this post 90s world man we just lost uh, a sense of like what countries are about what they fight for you know like you know you know what is what is the core region of russia right how does it protect itself what is the core region of china uh what are its goals throughout history what is it worried about what is it fought for what is it what consistent ways has it broken apart and lost uh, its gains, how does it tend to overextend itself? All this kind of stuff is just kind of, uh, you know, sort of in the, in the book that I've been uh, working on for too long, one of the earliest chapters is just called, um, it's basically, it basically says that, uh, it's called the matrix of history. And it's basically that the idea is that geography, like the actual land is the matrix of history. When you know what to look for, you can start to see how all of the different groups that have fought for the same regions and tried to expand and grow. It gives you a sense of the overarching patterns, and that is the and that's the, the broader thing is once you get that, you're like, oh, it's like it doesn't let you even just do now. You can see, oh, well, you know, this is you know, you can understand why did the Habsburg Empire, you know, fight the Czars? You know what I mean? It's like it doesn't you don't need to know crazy economics. You don't need to know crazy stuff. It just you it lets you see these overarching patterns. It's the patterns, man. And that's that's the biggest thing that I, w- I was able to do kind of with this China stuff is like, 
you know, there's nine major dynasties, 12, you can go up to 12 if you want. Um, it's thousands of years, it's too much. And if you just focus on the details, you get lost. But if you get the patterns, if you can actually rise above it a little bit, you just, you start to see and you actually simplify everything. Uh, so that's, um, that's the key. You know, I mean, that, that was the key that was for me that, you know, lets me have confidence that, you know, I could see, I could poke something and be like, well, you know, that sounds good, like it could be real, but if you, add, you dig a little deeper, it's like, eh, you know, and you can right. sort of see what fits and not, but that's it. I also will say like, it's a great exercise just to, to go read a bunch of American right-wing news and a bunch of American like left-wing oh, news. Yeah. It's just like, it get because again, you want to, I feel like you want to be able to detach a little bit from it and see where things are going. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, I think we're living in kind of like a historical moment, you know, it's like, it's not, nothing's fully fleshed out in either party right now and kind of seeing where the dual hole and where it's moving and how it's trying to affect things helps me to understand kind of where we are. It's not another way I do it. Yeah. It's, I think that's a fascinating piece to it is being able to in, you know, it's, it's a thing that I've done since this, and this is be beyond the conversations that I've had with people. Um, the the mindset that this has kind of forced me into is like let's look at all these things and i've and i i already am curious that's hence you know the name of the show but it it helped broaden and to try to like push beyond like all right like let's find new things to look at let's find new people that have even crazier ideas and see where they fit on the spectrum and like yeah. see how all of these thing, all these puzzle pieces fit together and why this person says this and this person says this and you know, on the extremes, it's like, Oh, well most of the time it's these people are doing this because they're getting paid to. <laughs> that's, like, that's really what it boils down to. But like being able to see it from all those different angles, it's super interesting to be like, Oh, okay. Like, so you see these plays and all these just the dominoes like falling into place because of all these different perspectives. And and you also see like people's motivations and, and how much they know what they're talking about, right? Like you, you know, you probably have people on, you're, you're talking to them and you poke a little bit and you're like, ah, it seems like you don't know any, you kind of lost wh- where you're going with it. And other people are like, oh, you know your stuff. And it, it kind of lets you feel it out. You get a sense for what's, what's, you know, someone just trying to make a quick buck or someone who's trying to build, you know, this and like, where's the, you know, what's the source of the motivation and, I think that stuff's also key. You quickly get a read on people and that helps you get a sense for what's most likely in the information too. Yeah. That's, that's another piece of it too, is understanding that the person you're getting your information from understands what they're talking about. It's like, all right. Yeah. Because sometimes, and like, I, I, most of the time don't know what the hell I'm talking about, but I like to hear about other things and I, I, I want to hear people talk about it, but it's, Maybe that's what it is, is uh, historically, and maybe this is a part of social media and technology as we've just grown, is we were too quick to just believe everything we see and everything, you know, that we ingest because it's, we don't think about why whatever we're receiving, like why those people would have any reason to like deceive us. And mm. we forget like, oh, now that like the internet and advertising and all these things like, oh, there's money behind it now. So now there's it all these, runs on advertising. <laughs> yeah. These people have incentive in order to get our attention or to not necessarily lie to us, but like steer us in a certain direction. And like, it's like, oh, like 
before when that without all this, there just wasn't that capability, you know, particularly across nations. And Mm -hmm. it's just mind just blown. Like when you realize how deep and how entangled all these things are, it's yeah. Um, speaking of, and it's a perfect, what do you perfect time? What do you think about the Twitter and Elon buying this? Um, and everyone's kind of not everyone, but um, there's a lot of obviously the the free speech, good, bad. I'm against it, this, that, whatever. But even more so, I thought about this uh, with you coming on, like the implications of world, you know, politics, like global politics, mm. and like there's a lot of implications there with that, and like the financial districts and all these different things that I think. People are, are like to bring up the hot button topics like, um, you know, it's free speech or, oh, yeah, it's free speech for white rich guys or whatever, like whatever those hot things are people want to talk about. Like there's so many more implications to this thing that I I just haven't seen touched on. And it especially with the, the global political thing, I think that could be like, have you have you have you put much thought into that, I guess? Yeah, well, I'm interested and curious to see what happens with with Twitter. I'm not going to pass any judgments on. I think in general, the social media world needs uh, you need new laws to regulate the playing field. I think all these companies trying to do it themselves is just not working out. Um, but of course, we don't have a government that can put in the laws. And the second they tried to like debate it, it would cause a huge thing. It would all be pulled in bias. So we're kind of stuck where the government's incompetent. And the, the, the companies have been kind of forced or taken it upon themselves to manage and regulate all this stuff. And they're not fit and it's not their actual – constitutionally, they probably shouldn't even be doing that anyway. And so then we're stuck. And then it's kind of a weird moment where uh, weirdly enough, the taking a comp- company private uh, actually gives you more freedom and to potentially make it into more of a public utility. It's a very weird thing. Uh, public markets have are dying in the United States. And people may not know, but the amount of co- there are more companies, you know, on the the New York Stock Exchange in the, like 1989 than there are today. They've been leaving in droves. It's maybe like half the size. I didn't half the number that. of companies. It's because there's so much regulation. There's so much overhead. There's so much. You're just open to endless lawsuits that a lot of uh, companies just aren't going public. And a lot of tech companies have been staying private. They stayed private for insane periods of time. And a lot of and so that means well, it means a lot of things. It's like well. Typically, these are often often very well. There's two sides, but there's the very innovative, like new tech companies that are staying private for a long time. And the historic, you know, before they went private in the public, like Airbnb and all these, they were public you know, private for like a decade. It's like well, that's a long time to be a startup. <laughs> that's right. a, yeah, uh, and it means that people can't invest in them, right? It's only kind of rich insiders in the venture capital companies that get invested in, them, not the average person. That's a weird thing. Right. But then you also have a thing where a lot of the activism in finance of like uh, sort of, I think it's ESG, like environmental, social governance type stuff where they're trying to motivate uh, companies to have a broader perspective than pure profit is one way to put it. And they are, you know, it's trying to shift the incentives and the motivations and stuff. But one of the things that's happening is that companies are just going private to avoid all this because this is all a public company thing. So all these coal, people are pretending like, oh, the coal companies, we're just going to shut them out of everything. It's like, no. They're just getting bought and being taken private where you have no insight, you have even less insight into what they're doing. Mm. So it's kind of, there's a weird blowback there, but it's an interesting thing. I mean, I think that 
we're kind of in a space where the government, uh, like I said, can't get its act together to kind of regulate a, a new fair playing field for this kind of stuff instead of using laws from the 90s that are for like telecom that doesn't make sense in the world of social media it's like ridiculous zero connection at this point in time that, that yeah it's like zero sailed. connection this ship has sailed and then the the companies themselves are doing a pretty it's a tough position a lot of problems it's automated a lot of bad stuff so yeah i mean who knows we'll, we'll really see i'm optimistic though i'm uh i admire a lot of what elon musk has done i think he's done crazy innovation i think you don't have another tech figure who's actually done real real we make things moves civilization forward type innovation with space technologies car technologies i think even ironically on the left there's no one who's done more to push forward the vision of renewable energy than tesla which has produced i think 75 percent of all electric cars in the united states right it's crazy stuff so there's a lot of ironies and weird stuff there um yeah he's a super uh, capable guy although running three companies at, at, at once man like Although I bet to him, Tesla's like, I mean, Twitter's like nothing. You know what I mean? He probably just thinks it's just like, yeah, eh, it's, it's just like playtime for him. <laughs> yeah, it's like playtime. It's like, all right, I'm going to try and, you know, build a, a rocket that gets to Mars and then I'll spend Sunday afternoon with Twitter or something. Yeah, well, he does that. Uh, I don't know if he still does it, but was it the uh, is, is it the ridiculous company or whatever it is? What he used like, okay. like making. Um, like flamethrowers and stuff. And he was trying to talk <laughs> about uh, building uh, tunnels under LA. Like, Oh dude, I hope he would do that. <laughs> LA's traffic is so bad. <laughs> so it's like, oh. I, I just don't know. I remember I heard a, uh, an interview at one point with him and someone was like, man, I can't imagine what it'd be like, you know, uh, you know, to be in your head or, or they're trying to get him to go into like a, um, an isolation chamber. And he was like, okay. oh, I don't think I'd like that. And they're like, well, it's just like, you know, calling. he's like, yeah, he's, my brain doesn't stop. And they're like, I can't imagine like, you know, what it would be like. And he was like, you know, you don't want to. He's like, I just, it just doesn't, it just doesn't stop. Like, I can't do anything about it. It just goes. And it's like, <laughs> I, I, I don't know what it's like to be him. You know what I mean? Maybe I, I hold a belief that I think he's like maybe partially like alien like version 2.0 or something like yeah like, there's something weird there with him it's just we haven't i guess we haven't seen a human with like his output his volume yeah, of it, output in a long in a long time so it's like yeah no, it was, i mean yeah what do we do I mean, we should probably try and use someone like him to the best benefit of society i mean that's kind of what he's trying to do in some in his own way i i think that's always been my read on him uh it's a weird thing too because yeah, I mean, he wants it for glory, too. He wants to accomplish all these things and get the glory. But it's like, that's always what you've done. Like, you used to have old poems, like the Iliad. You're like, all right, you know, try and become like Achilles and kill all the enemies of Sparta or whatever. It's like, yeah, it's like you want to be the great guy who, like, you know, looks like a, you know, looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger and has women cooing after him. And it's like, at the same time, the, the city wins, you know? Right. So that's what you got to do. You got to give people, got to motivate people somehow. And, you know, riches and glory is not a bad one. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I hope, hope he does uh, well with that. It, it's very weird because, like, the, uh, you know, he's uh, – now that he's the richest person in the world, there's just so many layers to it now. You know what I mean? If he was, like, At least not on the richest paper. person. Like yeah, it's paper. true. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Uh, Tesla – I mean, all sorts of things could definitely hit and really change all that. Um, yeah, well, at least I haven't really – I haven't been really focusing on it, but it's uh, – what do you think? I mean, are you? Do you think it's overall net good, bad? You I don't I, I quite know. I, I hope. I think it's overall net good. 
Um, you know, obviously everybody has their demons. Um, I don't know what his are. I hope <laughs> I hope that uh, we don't. We're about to find out. <laughs> yeah, I hope I hope we don't find out that he has some really dark ones. That's that's the hope. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, if nothing else, it's the I think possibly the shock to the system is a good thing. Okay. You know, it's it's the it maybe it feels like that, not like the little man one because obviously he's like this insanely like rich, intelligent person that basically no one could ever you know, strive to be because good luck. Um, but like, it's like that when that thing happens that you don't expect it to happen and it's like, Oh, this necessarily isn't an absolute bad thing. Hopefully it's a good thing. Like, but it's going to be interesting. That's yeah, for it's sure. definitely going to be. Interesting. So like it, it maybe it gives a little hope that it's not that the same droning, you know, bullshit over and over again. Um, but like I said, we'll see. <laughs> I, <know>? it, <laughs> This is also a guy who uh, he, te- he he tweets images of uh, Bill Gates like pregnant as a meme. Yeah. <laughs> See, I think we need a little, I think we need a little more comedy in our life. I, 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 I agree, <laughs> but it's weird. A lot of people wish he had like some sort of more like rich man's dignity. It's very weird. They're like, I wish a, the richest man in the world in the world had more like dignity. It's like, what? So you want him to be like a politician or yeah. something? Like, you what, want him to be a prick? It's interesting. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm glad he's like he's ha- like I guess. If nothing else, also the guy needs fun. I think I, he's apparently fun. he works exactly. He, he works kind of all the time. Is the sense? It's like, I mean, you can't. He has two extremely hard jobs, right? Yeah, trying to like, go to Mars and creating, you know, electric vehicles that are self-driving electric vehicles. <laughs> yeah, that like also that and robots now. Do you hear about? Yeah, he's doing robots. Oh, I believe it. Especially with his Neuralink, freaks me the hell out. He, we, he says have you ever seen the video with the monkey playing Pong? No, I saw the the headline. Oh, it's there's a video. Um, we've showed it. We've shown it on the show. It was probably a year ago or so now. But like, there's a a monkey that playing Pong with Neuralink, all strapped into its brain, and that's it. It's just watching the screen. It's controlling the screen with its brain. Like it started out with that's a joystick, cool. and then like they slowly integrated it. And then they eventually they took the joystick away and it was playing Pong against a computer with its brain. Hmm. That was it. So like that was I mean, that was a while ago. So like what do you think about the um, like the, the metaverse type stuff where you're going to have like an augmented reality? Thing? I think it's going to happen. Yeah, sure. especially here. Like we've talked about commerce, you know, like <laughs> it, we are consumers. We are. I mean, I don't I don't mean to be a jerk, but like. If there could be a, a general view of the United States across the world, I bet a lot of them are like they're just a bunch of fat, lazy people that watch TV all day. Like, yeah, I mean, I get why people have that view because it's like there's so much of just we have so much free time. Like, that's awesome. That's a good thing. But like, I mean, I, I don't see how like virtual reality. I mean, it's it's been, I don't, have you ever tried any of the headsets or anything like that? Yeah, I've used. I mean, they're still like kind of clunky you know what i mean like they are, they're too but... big like once they're like sunglasses or just like glasses that's a different game or like, once we'll, we'll they plug right into your brain with Neuralink. yeah probably get the glasses first right i mean yeah who knows you know what i mean yeah, I think how take far, a while. no how definitely far is that down the road <laughs> you know what are I, mean? We, are, I mean it's funny i've recently been i went on this two-week trip i went to arizona and i was in new mexico and actually texas i was camping i haven't done a lot this much camp in a long time I remember like I was, you know, my friend is, as a friend of mine, he came down from Alaska 
and he, you know, he's really good at like identifying plants and stuff. Like I can't identify a thing. <laughs> Uh, but we were doing all this stuff. We were hiking and stuff, and I was starting to learn. And I was like, "Oh, this is really cool!" Like I was like learning it. And then at night, uh, another friend of mine actually gave me a telescope a while ago. And so I brought this telescope, and I was like, "Holy shit, that's the moon!" Like, and you could see the stars everywhere. Yeah. And it was it was really crazy, and all this nature stuff. And it made me realize it's like I need a bit more of that in my life because I realize I stare at screens like all the time. Yeah. So, but in a world where we all just stare at screens, it's like. Why not just bring the screen right to our eyes? And then from there, just in our brain. Yep. Like it's almost like a bizarrely natural progression. Although I now fi- feel like I'll leave that to the younglings while I will be out in nature or something. Yeah, I think that's something that our, you know, our, our next generations are going to have to deal with or you know, reconcile or whatever. It's, uh, I think within the next, I would say with, within our grandkids, you know, that those the next hundred years, I think there's going to be an option of just plugging into to whatever, whether it be, you know, you, you look at, we're, we're already kind of tied. We're already kind of connected to the internet through our phones in, in this country, because most places you have cell service and whatnot, but the next step is just to plug it in your brain. So you don't have to, you know, you just don't, you have to pull the phone out. You just think of it. And there's some kind of, com, you know, computer symbiosis that goes on there that, we become augmented humans. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious where this goes. Like they have a couple, they don't have much runway right now. Like when, as things kind of break down the rest of the world, like you're gonna have to start making sure you have a profit from this stuff. Like I right. saw that Facebook lost like 10 billion investing in the metaverse stuff this year. It's gonna, it wants to keep that up because it now knows, right. uh-oh, TikTok's eating our lunch or whatever there. No one's using Facebook anymore except old people yeah. like we need something new uh so we'll see but you gotta also get people to buy it it's got to be cheap what do you do if you can't build it in china it's like we might be at a phase where the consumer electronic boom since like 2000 even earlier even earlier last 40 years it might be slowing down for the first time yeah or at least uh maybe maybe taking a little break for a little bit until somebody somewhere finds something that really you know ignites it and boosts it for the next couple of years. Cause that, I right, think until, before, until Elon buy starts another company. Yeah. And just, <laughs> yeah. well, I think partly like you said like the meta thing, like, well, like I think the, they, I think they got ahead of themselves because it, Oh like, yeah. The, like the, the equipment, it's not there yet. You know what I mean? The experience is not like for something like that. You can't just like throw it on your TV or, you know, put like you really need some kind of some like really submersive technology. And I I think their money probably would have been better spent. I mean, you know, not saying I know better than the entire group of Facebook, but maybe their money would have been better spent like investing in the technology. Video games, dude. It's just going to be like it's going to start with the video games. You know what I mean? Like. That's what people will buy right, right away. The money's there. So why not increase the submersivity? That's not a word at all. Whatever. You know what I mean? But like why not immersive. increase yeah, the immersive, immersive experience sub- yeah, 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 yeah. with video games? Put the money into that so then you can develop the technology to do something else with it. I think you said it best, dude. They, they probably just got ahead of themselves. They're just like, we want it all. Like Russia. They're like, we want it all. <laughs> it's like, well, can you – can you can you can you eat that? Can you fit it in your mouth? Or is it like <laughs> yeah, can you fit the, it in your can mouth? Can you actually fit it in your mouth? Or are you are you gonna have to spit it out yeah. and take a smaller bite? Yeah. <laughs> Shit. Oh yeah. man. Uh, um on that note, I have um well 
one more big question for you and then some follow-ups real quick. Um, sure. So I, I mentioned to you how we had the conversation on another show earlier that about the, you know, the gold in the, the James Webb, tel James Webb telescope. Um, and I, I had during that conversation talked about how it kind of may tie into you know, megalithic structures and all these different things around the world and the, you know, different time periods of technology. Is there anything, cause I've, I've heard a lot of, um, this is just a personal, like fun thing for me. Um, but like looking into like the pyramids of Egypt, um, you know, or the pyramids around the world, really, in all these different places, uh, you know, I saw the history channel did something about possible pyramids in Antarctica and that they had found core samples that like uh, organic matter had been growing there. I, I think it was like less than uh, I, I want to say it was like 8,000 years ago or something like that. They think so how all these things line up. Is there any type of like, you know, vast like megalithic structures that kind of tie into these weird unexplainable things in like the, that, that Eastern Asia like district, because obviously we have like, the great wall and those things, but like, I don't know. Is there anything like, do they try to keep any of those uh, kind of things like out of the, the public view or because I saw something, maybe I'll end this here, but I saw something that was uh, reported to be in Japan of like these big stones that were cut. that were just like, you look at them. It's like, how did they do that? Because that just seems nearly impossible. And I've never, I don't think I've, I've ever really seen a whole lot of that come out of China. Is that part of like just their history or that they, they don't have anything like that? Or is it just that they kind of keep those things quiet? Yeah. I mean, there's some, there's some stuff in parts of China that were, well, like everything in Chinese history is subordinated to this idea that there's like one, there's one main line of China and it all sprung from the same well, but they're actually like many different pieces. So a lot of other people's history, other regions, history in China gets shut down. Nope, sorry. And then everything else is kind of reconfigured to be part of this. So they, they have like old, really old fossils of like uh, basically it's a type of human that might be like not us, but it's really old in China. They want people to think that maybe China had its own like type of human. This is, I mean, this, <laughs> I this again, this it's like, going. it's all, it's all like yeah. kind of like suggest, it's like suggestive. We're not really saying this. Da, da, da. And like, I usually don't find most of this stuff worth reading because it's so, again, it's like that. My, as far as my, like, my, uh, my red flag thing comes up where I'm like, ah, this sounds too much like other things I've heard from you guys. Um, there's that. A lot of the region in China is like the old, most habitable region. They're extremely like erosive. So like it's like wind sweat, like things get blown away. It's like not good material to build <laughs> strong, sturdy type you know pyramid stuff in. There's not a lot of that in the old regions that they first kind of did. A lot of the the main north northern China region was like a swamp basically when they first got there. Um, so it wasn't, there's not like super old stuff. Uh, yeah, I'm also, I'm not the best on this in general. I try to stick to like this, like, you know, what, what we could say potentially this round of human civilization, you know what I mean? So like the last 12,000 years, I'm not trying to go too far, uh, back. Although I am familiar. What's that, uh, ge geog geologist guy, uh, big beard, Random big Carlson? beard. Randall Carlson. Yeah. So I'm familiar okay. with a lot of the stuff he's talking about. I'm, you know, and I, my general thought is, um, it's good to learn like the stuff about the current round of civilization, but also 
I don't know. I, I like to. I don't like things that close off the imagination. You know what I mean? I just I don't like it. <laughs> it's like, oh, we have this like, especially you know, anthropology departments, things like this. It's like, I wouldn't say they're the most <laughs> for you know expansive visionary places right now. Right. So uh, that's good. But I don't know. I also don't. I don't dive too much uh, into it. Uh, I've also just, yeah. Yeah, no, but I mean, so the intra, I would say in East Asia, I wouldn't say I I know that much about it. There's probably people who've kind of focused and looked a bit more. But yeah, most of the stuff is like tying everything to the one China, uh, stomping out places like Sichuan, this other region in China, it's right. history. And it's not that old, to be honest. It's not pyramid old, this right. stuff. Like, so it's, it's not impressive, like pyramid old. So I, I wonder if how much of that has gone over, like, through time that they've, that's happened over and over and over. You know, they, they always say, like, the, um, history is written by the victors. So it's like, I could see that just being, you know, some of those things just being erased, you know, and I guess well, maybe, even more good. Yeah. I was going to say like, just kind of on that point, like when I mean, this place is like erosive, probably not the best word. There's a, a city in China called Kaifeng. Doesn't matter anything about the name. It used to be an ancient capital about a thousand years ago. And they've done uh, fossil studies and they've kind of like dug under Kaifeng and they've done kind of seen, you know, like how far deep, how, you know, what do we find? We pull stuff out. And they, they've gone under, they found something very weird. They found basically six fossilized versions of Kaifeng under the current one. Because what happened is you had these crazy uh, floods and you had this super filled with sediment. And they basically, they just get washed under the sands. And it's happened just in recent history like six times. Wow. So again, this isn't a place that's like, again, it's chaotic, man. It's like things aren't lasting for thousands of years here typically uh, in, in that way. And honestly, China would love to have some mega pyramids. It would be freaking out. If it had pyramids, you know, it, it would, everybody would know <laughs> that China had pyramids. It's a national history kind of oh, piece. No, dude, they'd be like, look how glorious we are. We're oh, better man. than Egypt. Stupid Egyptians. Little did they know that the China, China existed and we were so much more right. glorious. Like, I guess that makes that, sense. That, yeah, that's their game. That. Oh yeah, dude. They're, they're, there's no, they would not be hiding it. They would also rope it in. Unless it was, like if it was in, the, the area where it'd probably be, they're all for it. <laughs> right. They'd be all for it. And it wouldn't be in most likely in the other places. So I'd say, unfortunately, not that I know of, possible. Oh, it's always possible. But That's interesting. That I, I wonder of. what could have been there before. Yeah, it's just a little like um, just pet like joy of mine is thinking about yeah. is the, you know, what could have been here because I've seen some evidence where it's like, this is a lot of co like uh, coincidental like events and things that are taught like all kind of match up where it's like this this could have been fascinating like what what was here before us like some of these things are just unexplainable and all and it's fun um but also at the same time it, it kind of i don't know it kind of i i take this approach to life where it's uh the the more insignificant i feel the the more i feel like i can make my life worth something huh it's like when you look That's at space, like space doesn't like the universe doesn't care. This infinite universe does not care one iota about me whatsoever. So then I can just, that means I can, I can live the life that I want because it technically doesn't matter in a sense. Um, you know, it's a condensed version. Um, but that's, so that's why I kind of think about like ancient civilizations. Like what, you know, what has our human race done in the past and what can we do in the future? It's just, fascinating um but you mentioned um you know like china's history and obviously we've talked about this uh all the times but is is there anything that like 
would be a good recommendation um, for anybody that's like, Hey, I want to know, I want to learn more about this, but I don't mm. quite have your fortitude to really like, <laughs> to dig in. Like, is there like documentaries or books or like, you know, YouTube channels or anything like shows or anything like that, that you'd be like, Hey, this is a really good, like, especially like with their older history and, you know, understanding how and what, you know, is really China. I mean, I think that there's a good uh, sort of geopolitics in general uh, YouTube uh, channel. It's called Caspian Report. It's pretty good. It's just like a guy in Azerbaijan. He does a lot of graphics-heavy videos, and there's some China stuff there. Can't uh, vouch for all of it, but in general, he's, he's pretty good. Unfortunately, a lot of the books on China, man, are like <laughs> brutal. They get Basically, they don't reach the level of the patterns, and they uh, get lost in the details, and it's excruciating to read. <laughs> like that's, that's the unfortunate thing. Uh, I think honestly, if you found a book that said uh, the like the geography of China, anything related to the geography of China, there's probably parts in that that are very good, give you a sense of things. Um, uh, check out my podcast. Uh, it's not uh, it's not uh, kind of the best way to learn about things because it's kind of topical about what right, right now. Ideally, I would tell people just check out my book. That would be the the way to because that's kind of, I'm trying to make it like an accessible general book that's like oh it goes in depth, but it's like not at some brutal level and it's relating it back, even though it goes all the way back, it's relating it to the modern day as you go the whole time. That That's kind of the goal. And that's, it's a difficult thing. It's probably taking me, that's probably why it's taking me a bit longer, but I really, coming out? should be by the end of the year. Awesome. End of the year. I, I, I need that. I need this bad boy done. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. So it's, it's good. I'm actually filled. I'm actually, it's, I can actually show people. Actually. I, have, I have just like endless, uh, it's just all of these like fragments of pages oh. <laughs> and things like it's just like just trying it's to it's it all, all it's it's dude I have I actually had to buy I found a, a printer because I realized like I need to read it I can't just can't just be on the screen oh, so yeah. I have to have that picture so I am all around you is just uh, papers everywhere so <laughs> it's 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 in the works but yeah honestly I I there's deep problems with uh, kind of trying to learn about China and I learned this firsthand that the way that the Chinese describe their history is not helpful. <laughs> it's obscuring a lot of things. It's trying to make themselves feel good about things, trying to encourage their people in certain ways. The West bought into a lot of stuff. That kind of makes it difficult. There's all the stuff about Confucius that just makes it more confusing. Um, it's, <laughs> it's funny it's how not, that works, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's not, uh, it's not great. Um, so I, I'll definitely try and think, think of some more. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, yeah, I think that's good in, in general. I mean, I just Chinese books in general, I, I don't, even, even I have read dozens, but I don't finish all of them because it's just like, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's unfortunate. Yeah. I think, I, uh, I guess I, going back to, I think like, what, what you're doing and, you know, the information and like I said, the, what I've gathered from you and the conversations we had have just been phenomenal. And it's, it's one of those big pieces that it, it really does affect us, but most people never think about it and they don't understand how eventually these pieces fall into place that, you know, even at a selfish level, maybe it's a good idea to try to understand some of these things so you can understand how the whole, this whole machine is working and, you know, affecting our lives. Um, and you do, a, a, I think you do a great job at it. So I appreciate it. Yeah. There's um, look, one of the things that 
I've been really trying to do. I kind of refashioned Chinese history to to give you like people a big pattern. Like it's too much. The truth about China is too much. <laughs> but that's just the honest truth. Like, and if I recommended some book, people would get like half uh, halfway through a chapter or two, and they'd be like, "Dude, I'm done. Like this is right. it's just too much. It's too much. You you drown." Um, but there's a story, kind of an archetypal scenario in in Chinese history, in a, in a legend that you can use to kind of understand the whole. There's kind of two images of the whole that have been produced in, in Chinese history. Uh, one comes from something called the Book of Changes. Have you ever heard of this? Uh, I'm not sure. Oh, okay. So this is really cool. The, there's a really common, there's a more familiar book called, um, uh, you know, the Tao Te Ching, which is basically the, the way of change. It's by like Lao Tzu. And it's just like, it's a book. It's very cool. It's very enigmatic and stuff. But there's another book, a thousand, you know, hundreds of years older. It's called uh, the Book of Changes. It's probably the most mysterious and enigmatic book in all of world literature. It's basically a book of divination and it's quite fascinating. Basically you, you can basically ask this book questions and it has a, it provides you answers about these questions and it is, it does spooky things, right? There's like, that's kind of the way to describe it. Uh, I don't need to get too much into it, but it's very cool. And there's a bizarre fact where this book, it can explain a lot about China. It's a very weird thing. This is too much, not to get into that. But there's another image of, of the whole, which is really cool. And it's uh, about this, this archetypal story of basically China's first emperor. And in his saga, you can learn everything about China. You can learn all of its ups and downs and histories. And so I've refashioned things to make China accessible and then to describe it on the ground, practically, geographically. Where's this? Where are the choke points? Where are the passes? What's this? What's happened? Where's the population? Who got crushed? Whose language won? That, that's the way. And then you have the the deeper uh, narrative to, to give you a sense of the patterns. And that is what I always found lacking in everything about China. And this is also the thing that lets you like grab like the core, like the, 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 the essence, the treasure, you know, whatever that, that's kind of embedded in this civilization and, you know, learn something powerful from it because things aren't going to, things are going to South in China very soon. And it's just going to end up in chaos again. No one's going to understand what's happened. And there, but the fact of what it's done and its whole history, and then kind of what it managed to accomplish the last fifty years—it's crazy. It's like a ridiculous thing. It's a ridiculous story, and you don't want it to just submerge under the the waters again, right? I think there's something really powerful to learn from it, and so that's kind of why I put a lot of time. And then the best part is it reflects on us. It teaches you, like, well, why are we, and you know, why are we different? Why are we better? Why are we worse? How can we be better? And then. Yeah, you know, help us move forward. I think you nailed it earlier, man. When you were saying, once you realize, kind of like, we're it, you know, like not just the United States, but like, you know, you know, this space is kind of empty as far as we can tell. Uh, and even even the past, man. Like, I like I love civilizations. I actually have a funny story. I was in in Heraklion, which is a city in in Crete, a while ago in last year, and I was in a museum. And I was walking through this museum. I was walking really slowly and reading everything. And this uh, girl was like wa walking at the same pace as me <laughs> through this museum. And so I was like, after like multiple rooms of me being right next to her reading something, I was like, I should make conversation and say hello. Anyway, we started talking afterwards and she was just kind of floating through the city. And afterwards, she's like, we were just talking, at, you know, at the end of this place and when it shut down and she's like, wow, you really like civilization, don't you? <laughs> it was like, a, it's a really funny thing. And I think about that now, like, yeah. I think I really do. Um, and anyway, that's that's where you know where we are. Like we, you know, civilization has has gotten got us here, and we're kind of the, you know, the light in the darkness here, the tip of the spear. Like there's whatever that happens is is what we make it, right? Like the past has, like 
the thing I don't like about the people who look too far into the past and imagine too much of the ancient civilization stuff, it's like I feel like the real potential is now. I don't like yeah, I want people to know that the moment to do something remarkable is now. It wasn't like in a past time that was greater than now. It's like, no, nah, we went to the moon. I don't think anybody else went to the moon. Uh, maybe. I mean, could have, but like, I guess I look at it as like, this is a potential of like, Hey, maybe, maybe we have more potential than someone in the past. Like maybe, maybe we've gotten this far in the past or similar, some kind of, you know, whatever, but how do we learn from the mistakes and how do we go beyond what we've ever gone beyond, you know, before in a sense, you know, it's, uh, it reminds me of something someone told me is, uh, uh, a friend's girlfriend, uh, saw something on Instagram of hers where she was basically She's going to a, a seance. I don't know if you heard of this stuff where like some guy was like going to uh, uh, basically, I don't know, kind of uh, tell them what spirits or dead people that she knew were, right. were talking about or saying. Right. Okay. And we got this whole conversation and, um, and and someone else said something really interesting where this guy was like, you know what? Oh, wait, everyone's so focused on the dead. It's like, you know, maybe, maybe this is like, you know, you're in a basketball game and you're the player on the court, you know, and you're shooting a free throw. And listening to the dead is like trying to he- listen to what some audience member I- is saying, you know, while right. you're the one on the court. It's your moment. You're, you're the living one. And all the right. dead people are like behind you trying to push you forward or push you forward. And I just thought that was kind of mind blowing. I was like, huh. It's almost like a dream. Like I remember I used to think about dreams a lot. And now I don't think about, although I like, I like having a nice dream. That's kind of cool. But like uh, <laughs> I used to think about them a lot more. And now you kind of realize, like, yeah, hey, when you're really kind of like doing the things you want to do or trying to get these things done, it's like, Oh, like the dreams are just like juggling information, you know, sometimes right. a lot of it, it's, it's weird, but I just love that image of like, you're, you know, the living people trying to make the moment, shoot the shot on the court and really the dead, they're probably just more in the audience, man. And that's kind of what I feel like, even if they did crazy things, it's like, I don't know, the moment is now. So I'm always trying to get people to like, feel that energy of what's possible. Like what you're doing with the show, like get that spark of curiosity and you start, people start really moving with, you know, energies. It's amazing to see. Yeah, I think I and, and I, I can't, you know, disagree with that at all as, as living in the moment and realizing like, hey, like this is we're here, whether whatever it is, whether it's creation or evolution or simulation or where <laughs> I love how there's three now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, whatever I hate I, I, that's or, you know, maybe I, I also heard this one and I, you know, I kind of keep this in the bucket. Maybe we're just on um, inner, you know, intergalactic travel. And we're just dreaming and maybe this is like some kind of simulation in not necessarily in a simulation, but like just as like a, a job interview for what we're going to do when we get to our new planet. And I'm like, Ooh, I like that one too. Like, why not? I don't know, but either way, this is what it is. And yeah, I can't change it right now. So like, I'm going to enjoy it while I can. Like, yeah. And we're living in the lightning, man. Times are now. Moving. Active. Yeah, moving. <laughs> yeah. Moving. Yeah, fast. Oh, well, I can't think of any better way uh to end this, Jason. I appreciate this opportunity. Um, as always, it's uh it's been enlightening and um fantastic talking to you. Yeah, it was great. So hopefully it was great. Hopefully there's not nearly as much stuff that's happened. I I didn't even get to multiple things that I was thinking about asking you, but I think we're almost three and a half hours into it now. So, um, till next time, hopefully we, uh, there's nothing crazy. 
that uh, continues to happen, but you're not making me feel necessarily very good on that front. So, <laughs> well, at least this time you won't be uh, spooked if some crazy things start happening right afterwards. Yeah, I feel like, well, that's how it goes. Like par for the course, <laughs> famine and energy shortages and conflicts <laughs> and this and that. I mean, it's it's horrific, but I like how we also ended on an optimistic note. <laughs> that that was good. Yeah. Like. Uh, it's tougher these days to do that. So yeah, it's good. And it's so true, man. I just, I'm blown away. I think we both also really love the, maybe we feel something very similar about when you look at things that are trying to see space and James Webb gold plated <laughs> telescopes There's something about it too. You really, whenever space is involved, you really get a sense of how vast it all is yeah. right? and how small we are. But like, we're also like the, the one microbe that we know of that's like jiggling, wiggling around. <laughs> right. Intentionally. <laughs> Yeah, intentionally. Like, <laughs> I'm trying to move. Yeah. Like like a millimeter. <laughs> like it took right. me 5,000 years. But we did it. <laughs> we did it. Exactly. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was great. Well, until next time. Yep. Thank you for joining us today. Remember, check out the website, chronic-curiosity.com to join us at the forum have some fun interaction pick you up a comfy t-shirt or if you just want to support the show and donate all that is on the website as well thank you until next time see you